Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm joined by a special guest, Michael Estrella. Mike, thanks for joining me. You're a fellow filmmaker, and we're on the same soccer team, the beloved LA Knights. And it's really just a pleasure to have you on with me. What's up, Jason? I am so thrilled to be on board with this. Awesome, man. I'm so happy to have you. So today, we're going to be talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a movie that's very dear to both of us. And uh, growing up in Southern California, this really strikes a chord with me and uh, it had been a while since I'd seen it. And to go back on it just kind of has uh, relit some inspiration, some moments I lived in my life. And uh, hopefully we can share some stuff on his, on board here and, and review it as an adult rather than as a teenager. So I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And yes, it has a very high rewatchability to it. And it's a movie that you can revisit, like you said, when we were teens, some people even pre-teens, up into their adulthood. And I think it still works. And here we are talking about a movie from 1982 in 2020. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. This movie, as I just said, came out in 1982, directed by Amy Heckerling. And it was written by Cameron Crowe, who went on to become a pretty prolific filmmaker himself. So I always give the ratings, Mike, the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes ratings, just to give the audience, you know, just to let them know how fresh these movies are. Well, to me, it's like the golden tomatoes here. So whatever the score they give them, I'm just going just gonna to go with it, uh, knowing that it's gotten the golden tomatoes for me. Well, it's a 7.2 rating on IMDb, which is really good on IMDb. It's, it's solid. You know, it's hard to hold a super high rating uh, on there. It's a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty good, I would say. Uh, very good. And very if, good. If we're talking about school, I mean, that's a C plus, but hey, pass or fail, you're passing. <laughs> now, 78, it's a better bell curve. 78 is yeah. a very good percentage. And uh, this is a comedy drama, and it came out August 13th, 1982. Now, Mike, I did not see this film in the theater. I would have been 11 years old and not permitted to do so, but I did see it on TV in the 80s. How about yourself? I, I don't recall ever seeing it at the theater either. And I don't recall the first time I ever saw it, but I do feel like when I did see it, I felt like I was living it in certain ways. So um, I feel like I saw it at a pretty young age, probably closer to 12 years old. Oh, wow. And you were already living the movie? Well, I felt like I was just had that kind of like trying to figure it out as a young kid. You know, puberty was still a ways off, but you're still right. kind of looking at girls and trying to figure it out. And But uh, as a, I guess then 12-year-old, I was just beginning to think about, oh, what are girls about and what is this stuff? And so some <laughs> of the things that you would see in the movie right over the head, but at the same time, it was scratching the surface of what you're about to kind of get into. So yeah. um, it was kind of luring. Yeah, we're still we're still asking ourselves those questions, Mike. Absolutely, daily, and uh, you know, going back into this, I probably would have been like, oh yeah, I'll watch it with some friends just to kind of have a good time. But I went back, and it really did kind of make me think. Okay, well, who were you? Who are you now? And like, you know, eventually, I was like, wow, this script kind of actually really was pretty good, and it was yes, pretty cool to know exactly. it was from a female director. I thought right. that was pretty cool. So, and we'll probably talk about a little bit more about the soundtrack because that really is what oh. stuck with me. It's a huge part of the movie. And yes, we will definitely get into all aspects and, and everything else. This is our chance to explore this movie from head to toe. So the budget for this movie, or Mike, do you want to guess? Um, let's just say uh, three million. Not too far off. Oh, Four and a half million, 
which had to be a ton of money in the early 80s, but four and a half million and the US gross, which obviously that tells us if it was a success or not. Any guess on the US uh, gross? Was that 25, 20 to 25 million? You were very close again, Mike, almost $28 million. Now, and, th- and that's U.S. gross. That, those are numbers coming from IMDb. So I don't know how outdated that is. And it probably doesn't include all the other ancillary markets now with streaming, but obviously a success. Obviously, there's a good return on investment there. And I'm kind of surprised that it didn't launch a franchise, but this might have been predating American, you know, it was predating the teen movie franchise, you know, where American Pie would uh, pick up. And do many, many versions, but uh, and I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad it didn't do that. So maybe in a way ahead of its time, maybe I mean you know. In I mean? many ways, it was ahead of its time. So if you're going to talk about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you have to get into the cast. You look at this movie now, and it's really hard to believe. I could tell you, hey, there's X amount of Oscar winners in that cast, and you would just think, really, what? But check this out. You have Sean Penn wins an Oscar for Best Actor for Mystic River and Milk. Nominated for Best Actor for Dead Man Walking, Sweet and Lowdown, and I Am Sam. Right? So there's Sean Penn. Jennifer Jason Lee, nominated for Best Actress in The Hateful Eight. You have Judge Reinhold, who's a staple in the 80s, Beverly Hills Cop, One and Two, and many other films. You have Phoebe Cates, who did Gremlins, Bright Lights, Big City, also an anniversary party. You have Ray Walston, rest in peace. My favorite Martian, The Sting, great actor of his time. And now you have Forrest Whitaker, Oscar Best Actor win for The Last King of Scotland. He was also in Panic Room, Lee Daniels, The Butler, and Black Panther. And to round out the Oscars, although he was only an extra in this movie, Nicolas Cage. He won an Oscar for Best Actor in Leaving Las Vegas and was nominated for Best Actor in Adaptation. So just take that what I gave you. It's an incredible list of of super talented actors who were all just really beginning when this movie came out. I mean, just, just to do a story on running this running history backwards to fast times would be even a story in itself, right? To see the, that line of where they all ended up and then run it backwards right into fast times to seeing Nicolas Cage, you know, playing an extra and barely doesn't, I don't even think he has a line in the movie, but he does a bunch of nods and different things. It's, it's, it's uh, quite remarkable. And how did this movie propel Sean Penn further? He never really touched this character again, obviously not Jeff Spicoli, but he left a mark forever in cinematic history. And, you know, that probably opened up the door and put him on his way. He was going to get there anyway, because he's that talented, you know, and Forrest Whitaker, he's not in the movie a ton, but every time he's in the movie, he's captivating. You know, he's got star power. Each of those characters, it's so believable in that part, oh right? Gosh. I mean, they just were like, they were just playing themselves. It really, it really felt like that, you know? And just like, yeah. they're just being themselves. It really felt comfortable. And, um, you know, I don't know how much she directed them into that direction or if that's just how they were going. But um, what a crop of talented actors and actresses. And that's what I always hear great directors talk about is like, it's all in the casting. And if that's true, they did it here. They cast it well, and they did their job, and it was a great script, and good directing, great soundtrack, and there's a reason why this movie still holds up. It's not just one thing. It's many, many things. 
With Nick Cage, just real quickly to say about him, he was an extra in this film. He went on to be in some great films, like I talked about, and won an Oscar, nominated for another one. But it was just the very next year he landed the lead in Valley Girl. But it was the fact that he was only 17 years old when when he was making this movie, which didn't permit him to take on the larger role that he was being considered for. And for those of you film nerds like myself and Mike and anyone else who's ever joined me on this podcast, in the credits, you'll see Nicholas Coppola. And that's because at that point in time, he was still using his actual name. And he is, of course, nephew to legendary film director Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, big ups for him, right? Just saying, hey, I need to just separate this as much as he can, you know? Totally. So before we jump into the scenes, which we like to go through beat by beat of the movie and break it down, I wanted just quickly to touch back on Amy Heckerling. She went on to direct Johnny Dangerously, National Lampoon's European Vacation, and Clueless, among other films. And she got this movie when David Lynch, who was originally offered the chance to direct, churned it down saying it was a funny script but not really his thing. So Amy got the job and thank goodness it was her. And not to say that Lynch wouldn't have made it great in his own right, but I think it went to the right person who had the right sensibility, found the adult tone in the film. I mean, I wouldn't even say this is a high school movie. I guess you could say that. Yeah, it's a teenage movie, but it's a teenage movie made for adults. You know, it's not just this teeny bopper movie. It's not another Porky's. It has a lot of sensibility and character development. And at a time that there weren't a lot of these movies out there. In you know, 1982, they're, they're getting away with a few things that you normally wouldn't get away with uh, now in regard to what's allowable and not allowable, PC and stuff like that. But they, they you know, as we'll discover as we go along, they address some very serious matters. Oh, and, yeah. and at the same time, uh, you know, cultivated, uh, I think uh, – um, uh, a way of looking at life as basic as it can be and as complicated as it can be all in one. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, Mike, as you know, in filmmaking, video production, music videos, it always starts with the writing. And Cameron Crowe, he would go on and be a very prolific writer-director, doing movies such as Say Anything, Singles, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, Vanilla Sky, and many others. He also would win an Oscar for Best Screenplay for Almost Famous and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture for Jerry Maguire. So again, you look at the pieces that made this great movie, it's no surprise that we're still talking about it. I mean, these are like Cameron Crowe's up there in the echelon of writer-directors, and this is where he really got his, for the most part, his start. You always wonder how the writer gets in the, into the mood or gets the information as to what they're going to put down there, sometimes through experiences and stuff like that. But um, as I've learned, and maybe you can shed some light on it, how he went about getting his writing materials is actually pretty cool. It's amazing, Mike. And it's so amazing. I, I kind of was on the fence about, do I share this in the beginning or do I put it at the end in the trivia section? And Now that we're talking about it, I think we're going to put it here so the audience can hear this earlier in the podcast. Here it goes. So the concept for this movie actually started back in 1979 when Cameron Crowe returned to high school at age 22 to observe, to infiltrate, and to write a book about the high school experience. So he registered under an assumed name with the corporate 
with the cooperation of the principal, who was the only one to know the secret. And two years later, he had created a hit book entitled Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a true story by Cameron Crowe. Now, Crowe did change the names of the school and the students, but the screenplay would go on. Oh, sorry. The screenplay he would go on to write were loosely based on the events and the characters in his book. I mean, can we get away with that today if we want to go do that kind of stuff? Really? I mean, that's brilliant. It's amazing, Mike. I'm jealous. Really? I'm totally jealous. I, it's like, <laughs> like, where was he inspired to do that? That It's absolutely, like, after I saw The Breakfast Club, which I probably saw at a more apt age, that movie impacted me on a very deep, deep visceral level. And yeah, I was like, wow, wow. I was already, I was in high school seeing that movie. So I thought, my gosh, this is fascinating. These characters, I'm around this. But Cameron Crowe had his own sensibilities and then in the seventies and decided to go in and make a book about it. Yeah. He was like doing a incredible journalism and almost a documentary style before people were doing it. But you know that he went on to work for Rolling Stone and became a great writer and almost famous as kind of his biography in a way. So he was just hardwired for it and he had a good idea, Mike, and incredible execution. I mean, he's 22 and he's thinking like that. That's, uh, that's the way to do it, right? You know, Amazing. And, and you're thinking, okay, at what age did were you mature enough to go, hey, this is going to, this is how I'm going to approach this. So, you know, yeah. hats off to that. Very bright guy. And he, he was destined. Some people are destined for big things and, and Cameron Crowe it, it was among them. And just imagine what didn't make the script. You know what yeah, I mean? That's true. <laughs> I've never read the book. Have you read the I, book? I haven't. I'd be interested to read the book now. It's far enough away and just to hear some of the stories that really happened. That'd be kind of fascinating. All right, Mike. So I took something from trivia, but I think it's nice to throw it up top. And now we jump into the scenes of the movie. How can you not win when you start off with the Go-Go's? And that song just gets you going right off the first five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. You're just like, what is this all about already? <laughs> Mike, you're so right. We open at Ridgemont Mall, aka Sherman Oaks Galleria. And it's an 80s montage. And you're right, to the Go-Go's. What song of theirs? Uh, we got the beat. Yes, I mean, sir. It's great. This is a way for us to, well, who doesn't love a good 80s montage? And this movie's got a lot of them. So this is a great way, Mike, to open a movie because you get to meet the cast, although you don't even know they're the cast yet, but you're focusing on them. You see a little bit of everybody. You also see lots of denim. It's the 80s. You see arcades, shirtless arcade players, and you just see the mall. And Mike, were you a mall rat as a youth? Did you spend lots of time at the mall? Did you go to this mall? You know, I was just far enough outside the LA County line to not get into the mall over here in the valley, which, you know, I, you know, I don't live too far from there now. But um, as a kid, yes, the mall was where it's at. And I remember going to it. It was the place to be. And I always remember at least for us, it wasn't um, uh, Perry's Pizza. Is, it, is Perry's Pizza in this movie? I think. Oh, oh, yeah. Perry's Pizza plays a big part of this movie. For me, it was Bob's Big Boy eating the melted cheese off of the cheeseburger wrapper. That was the <laughs> biggest thing. So, like, I get it. Like, there's some association here. And, the, you know, of course, the arcade games, which was endless. Oh, the arcades are great. Uh, and the food court. I was always at the mall, too, for certain times of my youth. But it was like pretty much when you didn't have a car. So, you could get dropped off at the mall and 
youngsters or preteens or teens could be entertained for hours. And I would go to the South Roads Mall or the Promenade Mall and hang out with my friends. You'd see movies. You could go have food in the food court. You could talk to girls. You could be, you could look at girls. You could hang out with your friends. It really was just an incredible place. And I'm sure we bothered every adult and every family that was there because we're just a bunch of loud kids. This is why I think this movie just really resonates with me because I remember after the mall, meeting two girls and they were, you know, we were probably like 13-ish and, you know, we went to 7-Eleven to get a big gulp next to that. And they were talking with us and we went in with them. But when we went out, they went with the 16-year-olds who had cars and left us hanging. And so there I was like Rat Ratner. Don't take it personal. Uh, I was Don't like Ratner in the parking lot going, well, what the hell? Like I didn't have the right yeah. attitude. <laughs> so it was yeah, perfect. Stink eye? Yeah, it was perfect. Totally, man. Totally. <laughs> oh, it was perfect. Oh my gosh. So yeah, the mall lives on. Immediately, we meet Mike Damone, played by Robert Romanus, and Mark Ratner, played by Brian Backer. They're fantastic in the movie, and they're actually key players in the film as well. But so Mark works at the movie theater, and Damone is a scalper, if you will. I love Mike when Mark's ripping tickets. He says, the smoking section's upstairs. I do not remember a time there was a smoking section in the movie theater, Mike. Do you? I don't remember that necessarily, but I know it happened. So you just weren't, yeah. it was just like, this is the norm. Like, so, you know, so you have to kind of like smile at that or smirk at that and go, oh my gosh, like, really? That's how it was going? As if the non-smoking section's not infiltrated by smoke. They're not, they're not, the smoking section's not watching it behind a glass window. They're probably upstairs and maybe smoke rises, but come on, seriously. Like I do remember going on a flight in the 80s and there was a smoking section on a plane. That makes even less sense. Well, not all the 80s made sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we love about them. That's why we exactly. keep revisiting them. So now we're at Perry's Pizza and we meet 15-year-old Stacy Hamilton, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. And she's at that point now, she's interested in men. And here comes Ron Johnson. What a name. And she's interested. So Linda Barrett, played by Phoebe Cates, who's more experienced and she's got a fiance in Chicago. And she's kind of pushing, encouraging Stacy to, you know, go talk to him and kind of, uh, this is time for you to meet guys. Yeah. And, um, you wonder, okay, is this how girls really did it then? Is this how they really did it? You know, and we get a we get a, a real from a female director's perspective, we see how okay, this is how it was going down, and we also see like, oh, this is the vulnerability part too, already coming up early, right? You know, and right. and um, and you see the innocence already coming up. So the, the just really uh, to me, again, just diving into like really setting up the characters right off the top. And to your point. 15-year-old Stacy, who lies about her age and she says she's 19, is interested in 26-year-old Ron. And and this age difference is illegal and is not right. And Ron should do a much better job of really getting to the bottom of her age. But, uh, you know, um, so it goes and we'll revisit Ron here shortly. So now we cut to All-American Burger, which is now a coffee bean on San Vicente in Brentwood. Yes. Which now I want to go visit. Of course. Because, uh, just, just for, uh, you know, the sake of it. But, and I'm sorry that I never made it to an All-American Burger, but we meet Brad Hamilton, Stacy's brother. And this, of course, is played by 
Mr. Judge Reinhold, and he's dating Lisa, and he seems in charge, Mike. You know, I love how he just kind of feels confident in All American Burger, and then he confronts Jeff Spicoli, who's incredible in this movie, as I talked about earlier, played by Sean Penn, and he's joined by Eric Stoltz and Anthony Edwards. So these guys come into All American Burger, and what do they do first thing? Well, of course, you're going to have to take your shirt off because that's just what you do when surf's up. It's hilarious. They don't even get in line. This is not a sit-down restaurant where a, a waiter comes by and takes your order. They don't, they don't even go to the front. They just come in, take their shirts off, and sit down and start talking. It's hilarious. These guys have their own agenda. And so here comes Brad, and he, of course, points out the classic sign which says, do you remember what the sign says? Something like no shirt, no shoes, no no, no dice. Is that what it is? No, no, there it no, is, no, dude. <laughs> so good. That's oh, great. I love man. that it says that. And, th- and they think it's hilarious. And, you know, they acquiesce and I guess they put their shirts on. But Yeah, and it actually shows that they kind of respect Judge. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, he's because yeah. Judge is the cool dude. He's kind of like the mayor of sorts, you know? And, yeah, you know, he's the like, mayor of All-American Burger. He's senior in high school. And yeah, you know, and there's those dynamics at play here. So I like it. I like that scene, but that's it because boom, the next shot, it's time for another montage. Tom Petty's American Girl plays and we're at Ridgemont High School, which is Van Nuys High School for most of the movie with some scenes also shot at Canoga Park High School. And I even read there might have been some scenes at Torrance High School. So they made their way around the valley and beyond to, to create this. I mean, how cool is that? If you go to those schools, these are like, you know, this movie's kind of old, but these kids, you know, they're like, oh yeah, by the way. I would be very, I would wear that with a badge of honor had I gone to one of those high schools. Yeah, it's a great montage. Like you said, toilet paper, things happening. You do see a quick shot of Nick Cage, Art Nicholas Coppola. Yeah. And then Brad comes rolling in in his classic car. Again, yep. man about town, mayor of the high school. And then you see Damone and he's working it. He's always working the angle. He's, he's talking to someone about scalping tickets. And then you see a great van roll up and Mike, take it away. This is the most epic scene perhaps uh, when Spicoli and his two buddies just kind of spill out of their uh, Volkswagen bus with just all kinds of uh, smoke coming out of their vehicle. And uh, oh, yeah. they just kind of fall out as if like, hey, you know, we just got stoned off our asses and now we're going to go to school, <laughs> go to class. And it, it's a perfect setup. And it's a perfect setup also because it it also introduces another car with character as we'll find out all these other, all the other uh, talent have uh, particular cars that really relate to who they are. Um, so it's a pretty pretty cool scene. It says it all. And I think one of them says, did you hear a bell? I mean, they're just so stoned. I mean, there's lots of stoner movies to follow, but this is where it started. I can't think of a stoner movie. I mean, this isn't a stoner movie, but these characters existing before this. And you know, having never been stoned in school, to me, it still seemed cool that they were stoned. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, okay. I mean, I think that's just kind of, oh, they're the cool guys, I guess. But I do have a story, a true story, based on one of the uh, – when I was uh, doing some shoots here in LA, I always – if I see guys that are uh, uh, in the later part of their career, I always 
usually try and go up to them at some point, usually during lunch or something. I said, hey, man, what's the first movie you worked on? Or what's the most interesting shoot you've had? And there was a point where one of the teams- Gone with the wind. Yeah, not quite. Not quite. But one of the Teamsters uh, said, hey, yeah, well, I worked on uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. And so, automatically, I'm like, well, what do you know? Tell me a story. So, he's like, uh, but he said, yeah, basically, uh, Sean and the team, they- they were stoned when they came out of that. That was all real. That was all real. So, <laughs> maybe I'm spreading rumors, but this is coming from a teamster who worked on the show, who was just being straight-faced about it and said, hey. And we all know uh, teamsters know what's up. No, I don't doubt it for a second. There are scenes that I'm going to reference as we get into it that his eyes were so bloodshot. If he wasn't stoned, they did a damn good job of making his eyes appear to be stoned. So, you probably nailed it right there. Yeah, getting into character. Getting into character. And it what? It served him well. And speaking of Spicoli, I love the scenes with him and Mr. Hand. I even read that Sean Penn was purposely agitating Mr. Hand, played by Ray Walston. And it worked. His agitation probably got to him and it created that little bit of, you know, chemistry they had with one another. It's just great to see him. He comes in late. Mr. Hand wants nothing to do with his stoner in his class. He even has a great line because, as you know, what do you call them? Spicoliisms? Yeah. Yeah. He has so many great lines in this movie and many of them, which I also read, were ad-libbed. So, kudos to Sean Penn. He brought a lot of this character to the table himself. For sure. He developed this character himself. For sure. So, he says, after Mr. Hand rips his card and won't let him in the class, do you remember what he says? Uh you you dick <laughs> or was it that's it okay. you dick it's so oh, good <laughs> as we go into his character deeper and their relationship and all that i think it's important to note that uh the director probably via the writer cameron started out mr hand by saying aloha and i think oh. that's so key that that's the first thing you hear him say yeah, mr hand it comes into play later you will definitely see that and there's and so there's you start as i started going through this i'm like Wow, this script really has meaningful moments and the words yeah. that will always intertwine later. And, and I'll try and bring these up as we go, just a certain parts yeah. of those, you know, even Aloha. Yeah. That's right. And even backing up a little bit at the school when they were all throwing toilet paper and all that, you'll see a couple featured books that the director put in there. Uh right. that that may not everybody may not even be aware of, you know, but there's some featured books that carry some weight, you know. For Mr. Hand, it's what Truth and Liberty. That's his book. Yep. You know, yep. And, and then earlier on, we, we saw um, John, John Steinbeck's The Pearl, uh, which is a novella, novella about the human nature, greed, and evil that one of the students is holding. So you'll just see all these little pieces that are in there that you may not get the first time around. Yeah. But as you go Part back, you'll go like, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so, love that, dude. I love looking around what's going on. I no longer look at the main characters. It's like, oh, that's how I'm spotting Nick Coppola or, yeah, the book, like you said. I love things like that. Well, even the even in the class, that globe, like, don't tell anybody this, but I still have that globe from when I was a kid. There's a globe in Mr. Hand's class that was a school globe that I held on forever. And I saw that thing and I'm like, oh my God, I don't throw anything away. I have that globe from from way back in the day. And you're just like, okay, those are specific things that really resonate. Well, Mike, I won't tell anybody, but you just told everyone who listened to this podcast. <laughs> well, okay. Thanks for keeping I, a secret. You, uh, maybe thanks for keeping a secret. When I invited you on, I don't know if you understood that a podcast isn't just me and you. 
Oh, it will be shared. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so cool. I'm sorry. I should have given you a full disclaimer. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Okay, well, now That's we can start fault. over. So we're good. Okay, yeah. Reset back to one. We're good. Lastly, in the scene, as I was saying earlier before we got record, before we started recording, this is the first comedy of this show. Let's talk movies. And I realized that a comedy with a bunch of different players, there's a lot of scenes where in other movies, you're following the main characters, you know, beat by beat. So we have to speed up some of these and maybe lose some scenes just so we don't have a record breaking uh, podcast in length. But in this scene with Spicoli is Mike, he's wearing shoes that he would make iconic to this day. And please tell the audience, just what those were. Would it be something of like black and white checkers on some amazing vans that everybody had at some point? That is right. And yes, the slip-on vans, these things, they raised the bar. They set the bar. I mean, I had lots of vans. I still have vans. I've gone to lace-ups. I've changed. But anytime I see someone wearing black and white checker, that's all I can think about is fast times at Ridgemont High. Well, isn't it kind of a phenomenon that like, yeah, I want to wear the same shoes that some stoner wore. <laughs> it's just a <laughs> yeah, phenomenon. A I mean, it's just a phenomenon. Yeah. You're like, that guy was cool and he's just stoned all the time. So I want to emulate that. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. But what did he do for Vans as a company? I mean, I've never tried to look up the backstory of that. I did when I was doing some research on Risky Business, which will definitely be an upcoming episode on Let's Talk Movies. There's a future plug. I remember looking up how Ray-Bans, when he wore the Ray-Bans in the movie, sales skyrocketed to Ray-Ban, which was also kind of floundering at the time. But I don't know the economic impact on Vans because surely this sent their sales soaring. Oh, of course. Of course. Everybody wants to be the cool guy or the cool girl. So now we're at lunch and more sex talk and sex pressure from Linda, who's now teaching Stacy to do what, Mike? You know, I'm going to just say, I don't know what they're doing here. I'm going to leave that one up to you, Jason, to answer. Because oh, I don't, okay. for some Fair reason, enough. I don't Fair remember enough. what they're doing with the carrots. Uh, I think that's what it was. But you can let us all know because I don't really recall exactly. Well, Stacy is a virgin and admits to Linda in the scene that she's never given a blowjob. And so Linda shows her how to do it with a carrot. So she does. Unbeknownst to Stacy, there's a table full of horny teens to the side that see her and give her a, a raucous applause when they see her doing so. And that's what you do at that age. But at the time, Mike, I know it's we can look back and say very lowbrow. But it wasn't lowbrow. I, I Listen, I enjoyed the Porky's movies, and I hate to bring those back up, but they kind of set the stage for that type of horny teen lust movie. This is not that movie, but it has these scenes that they're more grounded, and they cross that line, and we just hadn't seen things like this in a movie at this point in time. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. They're just bringing up stuff that really would happen. And things that kids yeah. would discuss and things that wouldn't be discussed with other people. And you're just like, okay, finally, they're actually talking about stuff that's real and, and reflecting that. Which right. I think we – I think most filmmakers, uh, that's why we make film is to get at yeah. what's real and, and, and really get at to, to push the envelope and kind of do that stuff. But this, this is a great opportunity, Jason, if you're open to it. I, I really think this is – a classic example of what I f- see as the 
teacher and and the student relationship across this movie. The, obviously, there's Mr. Hand and um, Spicoli, right? That's an obvious type of connection there. There's also um, Stacy and and Linda. So she's teaching her. She's trying to learn from here. Then you've got Mark Ratner and um, Damone. Damone is like the teacher trying to teach Mark, hey, this is how you do it. And and Mark's looking up to Damone as to what he's doing. And and uh, so there's a teacher relationship. And then there's also Judge. Judge is yep. actually, he is a student. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Brad uh, is actually the student to what I consider like the system. Like he's learning from the yeah. system and the system is trying to teach him. Yeah. And so as we go farther into this whole discussion, I, if we could just keep those things, if people want to keep those things in mind, you'll just see like, wow, there really is something going on here. Mentorship. <laughs> in a way. In a way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a good comparison. We do have these tandems, and that's why this movie bounces around and there's lots of scenes, because we're constantly moving all of these characters forward. And you're right, they're right, they're little tandems, and sometimes they cross over as and we'll get into certain things. Other characters develop relationships with different ones, but those other those bonds remain the whole movie, and it's a very good point. Yeah, and you see some shifts. The things start to shift as we go through all these episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Teenage angst kicks in. And that will always shift things a little bit. Just a little bit. Next, Mark meets Stacy in biology class. This is just a small little scene, but I also like when Mr. Vargas comes in. Rest in peace, Vincent Chevelli. I always liked this actor. He was in lots of TV shows and movies, but he is he has left us, but he's left his mark in this movie. And I like that he's just switched to Senka. So please forgive him because... Mike, I don't know if you're aware, but Senka is decaffeinated instant coffee. These little humorous uh, little blurbs are just, to me, like the quiet laughter. I don't even know how to explain yeah. it. You're just like, that is really funny. And you don't have yeah, to laugh perfect. out loud about it. It's great. And I wonder if yeah. I wonder if his name if wonder if they if they said Mr. Vargas. I wonder if because during that time Circus Vargas, like it was a circus in his class. I wonder if that's how that name came about. I have no idea. I was just thinking, like, why would they use yeah. Vargas? Because it always has a reason, right? So I just wondered. I, yeah. I have no idea. But anyway, side thought. And so bam, now we're at Damone's house, and he's giving, much to your point, love advice to Mark, who's into Stacy. And so I love this scene. I like that he's kind of coaching him up. And Mike, I also love the decor in Damone's room. Devo. It's amazing. Devo. You, car exactly. parts. Devo. Car parts. You have the stop sign. You have Tattoo You, the Rolling Stone album. It's an amazing MTV-inspired room. And a small bar. Oh, he had a small bar. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, what are you, yes. wait, hold on a second. This guy has a small bar and he's what, 17, 16, whatever. He's pouring drinks. Yeah. Like, was it Kahlua and something like that? I can't remember what he's pouring. But I'm just, but one thing I noticed was like, he actually has a car door as a headboard or something like that. It was really weird. I was like, is that a, it was, I was like, oh, I have to go back and look yeah, at that. It was again. really wow. strange because he had a, he had a rim in his car, in his room. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? Leave it up to Damone. But he, that scene is one of my favorite actually. Because it, it really speaks to like what – it speaks to Damone's security, like his confidence, but underneath it, his insecurities. And it speaks yeah. to oh, like yes. the trust that yeah. um, Rat uh, has with him 
Uh, oh yeah, and and one of the, I, you, I'd ask you one of the lines in there that's delivered is unbelievable. One of them that Damone delivers. I don't know if you recall. Basically, is saying that uh, like a quote that says, uh, "That's the idea. The attitude dictates you don't care whether she comes, stays, lays, or prays. Whatever happens, your toes are still tapping." So, in other words, just get laid and just make it happen. So I thought, like, yeah. wow, that's that is kind of how teenagers think sometimes, and adults as yeah. well, unfortunately. You know, so uh, absolutely true. And here's here's, <laughs> and so here we have one character, Ratner, who's trying to look up to this guy. And he's like, yeah, and this is the advice he's getting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. throws back. He goes, well, if you try yeah. like thirty thousand times, you're liable to get you're liable to get something. He goes, that's the attitude. <laughs> oh my god, such. Teenage- I mean, now that you bring this up, I I do find these two such an unlikely duo. I mean, it works because one is in, they're both insecure and they hide it differently and they're both outcasts in their own way, but they also don't make sense. You know, these two guys, they, they really don't. And, and their relationship is tested throughout this movie. But yeah, I would more likely see Mark Rat, Ratner, Mark with like more nerdy types, more bookish types. I don't know how he befriended Damone, the perceived cool guy. But um, it works in the context of this film, but I would say it's probably an unlikely friendship you know, in real life. You know, I don't know, Jason. I think Damone's kind of the loner. I don't think anybody takes him seriously and he's finally got someone who does. So he kind of- And that's probably why right? it works yeah, okay. because he is a loner. He knows everybody, but he's not close to anybody. But here's the guy that, this guy's not threatening, so I'll bring him in as a friend. But that's exactly why it works. Yeah. And so, so, you know, for a comedy, this actually has some pretty dramatic, I think, uh, writing in it. Yeah. The, and well, in addition to character development, these are really flushed out people, characters, not just your, oh, that guy works in the movie theater. He's a nerd. That guy scalps tickets. No, they're a, they're a lot more complex than that. And that's what Cameron Crowe really got right. Yeah. These characters yeah. are just really amazing. And you may not know them, but you recognize traits and people that you went to school with or you grew up with and, and maybe even in yourself. So- now we have Stacy and she's sneaking out. And before she does this, I just want to point out this one quick thing. As Stacy, as you don't know, she's laying in bed. Her mother comes in, tucks her in. I think she gives her a quick kiss. And then she exits, the, exits her room. And that, Mike, is the only time in the entire film that we see a parent of one of our cast members. I mean, later we hear Damone's mother on the phone with Stacy very briefly, but there are no parents represented in this movie. So, you know, to your earlier point, we have these connections and these mentors, if you will, and we have, you know, teachers, but no parents. They didn't, even at Spicoli's house, the father is sending in his little brother, Curtis, to, you know, wake up Spicoli. And it's never that that usual confrontation you see in every movie with teenagers, you know. It's quite a unique approach that uh, is rare. It really if, is. If at all. And yeah. uh, maybe that's why it's so effective because uh, you don't you don't ever get in the situation and say, well, what would the parents think of this? Or what would they be doing during yeah. this? You're like, no, they're well, just- Well, we know what they're going to do. I think they, they knew that Crow and Heckerly had the wherewithal to know what they're going to say. And we don't need that- well, you're going to go to college next year. Let's look at the brochures. You, you, those scenes exist in other movies. I'm glad they don't exist in this one. 
Yeah. And uh, less cast, that helps. <laughs> that does help. Yeah. They, I mean, they already had enough people to develop. So, yeah. So just, just to say that really quickly, her mother leaves. She reveals underneath the covers that she's fully dressed and she's sneaking out of the house to go meet Ron and they head to the point. And Mike, I don't know if you know where the point is in this movie. Encino Little League Fields. And we play some of our soccer matches not too far from these. So and next time we have a game over there, we might have to go by and just take a photo of the old Encino Little League's dugouts. Now we have Ron and Stacy setting up in the dugout, Mike. And this is a groundbreaking sex scene accompanied by Jackson Brown's Somebody's Baby which really represents a loss of innocence. And right here and now, Stacy is losing her virginity. Yeah, and I don't know how you can actually listen to that song and think of anything else besides that scene once you've, you know, you've seen that happening and and um Yeah. And just to see this young girl who just really wants to experience it so she can talk from experience and this guy who's just some guy you know, but to her, it's like, and and then she goes through this this act, and she sees the top of the, she sees the interior rooftop, and it says surf, surf Nazis, Nazis. Yes. and it's just like, what? You know, it's just like that's how random things happen sometimes, and it just isn't that magnificent, or maybe it is, you know, but it, yeah. it uh, and to to touch on that topic with a man who's overage and a girl who's underage, and yeah. for that to happen. Um, for some, they probably didn't want anybody to see that uh, as regard to viewers. And for others, they're yeah. like, no, this is real. This happens. So kudos to the filmmakers for at least exposing this. Absolutely. Yeah, Ron's not a bad guy. He's just a 26-year-old stereo salesman who should have gotten to the bottom of her age and then took her word for it, although she doesn't look 19. And even her at 19... 26, 19, you could kind of do an eye roll, although legal. But yeah, this crosses a lot of lines. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's rape is what we're seeing, you know, statutory rape, but, but we're doing Stacy's story and she was really trying to, you know, connect and live up maybe to what Linda, her mentor in a way, uh, she's so experienced and she kind of wants to experience it. And here she is. You're right. Bam, surf Nazis. She'll reflect back on her virginity or losing it. And that's the image that comes to mind with a, a light bulb and a leather jacket and some dugout in Encino. You know, everyone's got their virginity stories and, and this is Stacy's. Yeah. And I think it's a huge, um, it's something that's huge in the movie um, but what follows after it, you kind of wonder like, okay, well, how do teenagers deal with something that is uh, that happens like this? Yes. So we're at school and Stacy is sharing with Linda that she's no longer a virgin. And she also tells Linda that it was painful. And Linda says, keep doing it. It gets better. I promise. Right. And as we, as we find out as things go, that Linda is kind of speaking from... Maybe not necessarily experience. Maybe she's just talking from what she thinks 
uh, is like. We, we don't. We just don't know yet. We feel like we know, but we just don't know. So, like, who's really the teacher here? Who's really the student? Who's really learning from who? Who's being honest about it? And then we have one young girl, yeah. you know, um, Stacy, who's just trying to figure it out. What is that saying? Do as I do, not as I say. So yeah, she is listening to her, but you're right. We don't know if Linda's really experienced or she just wants you to perceive her as experienced. Yeah, and then that's you a know, good point. Trying to remember back to any conversations you had as a as a teenager when it came to sex and like, you know, you're like everyone's trying to figure out like, well, yeah, man, like of course, you know, <laughs> the girls are probably like, well, maybe or not, you know, just like what is the dialogue that happens? Well, I think they would put on Fast Times at Ridgemont High to help them learn. As a parent, if I had kids, I would put that on. <laughs> but, well, why not if you're sitting I'm with kidding. them? But this movie, this movie actually could do some good things. You could put this on. You could put Days to Confuse on. You could put Breakfast Club on. And it would definitely help educate and enlighten young minds. Again, a comedy about serious issues. Kind of a cool thing. Well, it's, a, it's a comedy yeah. drama. Let's, let's yeah. be fair. No, and I was not joking about putting it on. These could be conversation starters. Now, this movie's becoming dated, although we both agree, and I'm sure our listeners and anyone else in the world would agree this movie holds up, but movies can sometimes help those conversations happen. And this movie's dealing with these adult themes in, in a very delicate and um, earnest way. And yeah, and listen, again, back to the cast, Jennifer Jason Lee is incredible in the role of Stacy. You know, we just take it for granted. It's so good because she's that good yeah, of an actor. Yeah, and to start seeing how her character's developing and getting some confidence yeah. and starting to move out of the world. Yeah, there's an arc for her. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and, and um, uh, you, I think you nailed it there too. It's like, you really believe like this girl is that innocent and then you kind of see it make a kind of a turn. So anyway, the... the the conversations that are brought up are serious conversations through comedic lines. It's great how they just keep doing that over and over and over. Yeah. I love this next scene. Not because it's serious or anything, but just I love when Brad is washing his car. We have the opening shot of the car stereo and it's playing the Ravens raised on the radio and this dolly shot or handheld shot of him running the sponge down the side of the car. And it's like, it's magic hour. And Brad just couldn't be happier. And he just embodies this. It's almost like a music video of him washing the car. He's so proud. You know, a few more payments and this baby's all mine. Yeah. You know, he's got a job. He's got a girlfriend. It, 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 Brad has never been happier than in this moment right now. And I just love it. They it's pretty funny that. how they had him dance for one of the segments of there. It's kind of quirky, but you're just like, yeah, yeah. when you're a teenager, you just do some stupid stuff that's because you're so happy about certain things. So that was kind of a cool, cool nod. Yeah. And the song's perfect. Raised on the radio. It's, it's perfect. You know, it's, you don't ever think to put it on, but when they put it in the scene and, you know, mixed it with the visuals, it works. It's a great moment. Now, Stacy comes home. So this is the first time you've seen them interact. I mean, we know their brother, sister, well, maybe we know because we've just seen the movie so many times, but I guess this is the first time you're seeing them interact. So now the audience is aware, their brother, sister, and she goes in and what does she find waited inside oh, for yeah. her? Oh yeah, the roses, the red roses, of course. From one Ron Johnson. We call him RJ, right? But, but, RJ. but 
Hey, yeah, but uh, Brad's so cool when she goes back outside, right? He's like the coolest cat. So cool. Because Stacey can't keep these. This would be way too many red flags for the parents who barely exist in this movie. But she doesn't want to deal with it. Gives them to Brad to get rid of. And so he does. And he, in turn, re-gives well, of them. of course, to his, his girlfriend at the, at the pizza joint. <laughs> I mean, he's a pretty smart- Not the pizza I mean, joint, the burger joint. joint. He's a pretty smart dude. And and yes, right. So and nobody sees it as like a uh, slime ball. I mean, I didn't see it as a slime ball. It's like, well, let's put these to use. <laughs> he cares yeah, about he cares course. about his girlfriend. Somebody better get the best yeah. out of it. She does ask him, "Were they really for me?" And a, a white lie in that instance is okay. In the same scene, Brad is now sharing with Arnold, this new hire about his plans. I love that he's sh- I, another another example of mentorship. He's training Arnold how to get with the all-American burger way, but he's sharing his plans how he's going to break up with Lisa. He just gave her roses, but you know, he's a senior and you know, he wants some freedom now. They've been together for two years. I just love the fact that he's sharing with this guy at work. It's this also brings in something that I kind of felt throughout the movie is that the importance of these relationships, uh, the teacher and student, but also the car, the cars that are in this are big, but the yeah. food is such an unbelievable motif of sorts that runs through this that is so humorous. When he's talking to him about, you know, hey, my life's pretty good to get him. He's flipping a patty and it kind of falls off. And yeah. then uh, what's the guy, what's his buddy's name? He's trying to, again, tell him how Arnold. Arnold. Arnold, while he's telling Arnold, you know, he's flipping up. Life's pretty good, you know, and sex with my girlfriend's great, and which is all lies and stuff like that. Arnold, while he's doing all this, smells the the bun, the, the hamburger bun. Yeah. And it's all this little like right. thing, simple things that kids would do that just shows you like, Man, they're just kids, but they're talking about things to them that are like the ultimate biggest thing in the world. Yep. We also learn what the secret sauce is at All American Burger. Exactly. Exactly. Which just Thousand Island dressing. And then the other one was what? Bronco Burger. He also, Arnold divulges because he left Bronco Burger to come to All American Burger. And it was mayonnaise and ketchup. Which is very similar to Thousand Island, but just <laughs> but the, that's know, their loyalty to each other, right? Version and uh, tell yeah, each other that they were sh- they were sharing secret sauces. Yes, I love it. We're back at school, and Mister Hand is handing out test scores. But I love Mike that he's announcing the scores as he hands them to people. So you're not going to hide in his class. He's going to call out bad grades in front of everyone. Nothing like a little shame, Classic. right? A little shame to get everyone possibly motivated. I don't know about that. Yeah, that's just who Mister Hand is. And he notices Bacoli's missing, so he sends someone out to get him, and they trick him into attending by telling him there's a birthday party waiting for him, which is classic Spicoli. But Mike, I love when he comes in the room, and he's got a bagel tucked into his pants, and he's holding his infamous Vans. So he's barefoot. I just love this. Like this is, you know, this was total Sean Penn. Uh, and by the way, his shirt is unbuttoned and it's just like bare chest. You could never get away with this in my high school. And he's, they were far too uptight in, by that time. But I just love that this is Spicoli. He might as well be in his own living room. And, and like to him, he's like, what, what, what? <laughs> Something yeah, wrong what, here? What, what's up? <laughs> now, Mr. Han coins the phrase, I don't know. That's Spicoli's line to him, 
puts it on the chalkboard, which would later become a track by Jimmy Buffett. It's also in the film and on the soundtrack of the same name. And it's also known as Spicoli's theme. It's a great song. If you've, and I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan by any means, but I've always liked this song because it doesn't even sound like Jimmy Buffett. It's the, I don't know, I don't know which way to go. I don't know. It's a great song. And it really is Spicoli's but it, theme song. You know, song. it is his theme song, but it also is everybody else's too. It's right? everybody's. It's yes. everybody else's. Absolutely. It's any teenager or most people in the world, you know, we, sometimes we just don't have a Absolutely. Clue. But again, you know, self-included, myself included. Yes. Well, we're trying to figure it out here, right? Like as, as we go through this, but it, yeah. it is a major, I think, uh, I don't think it'd be plot point, but it's a major message uh, delivered through that, what's written yeah. on the board and through that song. Yes. Yes. Three little words mean so much. So now we have a Christmas montage as we've moved into the holidays. And I love how this kid's on Santa's lap and he's peed on him, which is hilarious. And we learn Ron has stopped calling Stacy and Linda is trying to cheer her yeah. up. It was bound to happen, Mike. It was bound to happen. It happens to every young girl and every young guy in some form, it seems like. But um, yeah, what uh, what's the conversation there? She, I think Linda starts talking about um, what do you want to do, uh, Miriam and and. Uh, uh, then become fifty and have it, and he's and he's bald, and you have a and have some kids or something like that. And I was like, yeah, fifty and bald. I'm like, man, that's not too far off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but these are teenagers. Fifty to them is uh, you know eons away. We see the dynamic again between one of them trying yeah. to teach the other one, or at least hold each other's hands in their own little way as to how to step up while while Linda is still struggling with her reality of not being able to see the guy who keeps leading her on or her dreams. And there's some reality that's, you know, setting in. Now Charles Jefferson, the infamous Charles Jefferson, is inquiring about earth, wind, and fire tickets because Damone is a scalper and can get these tickets, but he doesn't have any right now. He's going to keep his eye out for these tickets compliments him on his little brother. And you can kind of see right then and there, Spicoli comes over and befriends Charles's younger brother and they go off and play video games. And you can tell that Damone, who now he's talking the most popular person in all of Ridgemont High, is like, whoa, taken aback. It's kind of like a celebrity talking to Charles Jefferson. In fact, one kid who he's trying to do business with, who's wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt, which I love, says... Wow, he actually goes to school here? I thought he just flew in for the football right. games. So that just says it all right. about Charles right then and there. Like about Charles, like he is a big time prospect and everybody knows him. Now Damone, when that when Charles walks away, Damone is now encouraging Mark to go talk to Stacy at Paris. Yeah, and here again we see the old um Damone that's supposed to know it all. Telling Mark, who's just a, like a, a, a sponge absorbing all these things and not necessarily believing yeah. all of them, but just getting that courage is building up a little by little by little. Yeah. Yep. And I, to his credit, he goes over, you know, it's kind of awkward looking for a jacket and I'll buy another one, but then gets her number. He does get her number and I got to give him kudos to that. I also like the fact that the customer before him 
bought a slice of pizza for a dollar five. That's what I'm talking so, about right there. So that was probably a ninety nine cent, but, and it was probably six cents tax way back then. Yeah, there, you think six cents might have been three cents? Think, yeah, I maybe think it was, was maybe six, right. but um, maybe you're in right. In any case, it was nearly a buck. That's not bad. But what? A, no, but not what bad a great like just that scene. This kid who just has yeah. nervous kind of to finally go up and ask the girl for her number. Like, do you ever remember doing that as a kid? Like, oh man, like, oh. is this going to work out? Is it like you're, you're like on an Island and you just got to be with this one person and there's nothing else in your mind. And you're just like, am Gosh. I going to succeed or am I going to fail? And the way he set it up with just using the jack, it was just like, so whatever I got, I can just try to make this work. So it's a lovely scene. Um. No, it was really scary moments. And this was a threshold for Mark to cross over. He'd never asked a girl for her number before. Yeah. It's obvious. And so now he's probably like, so, man, Damone is actually kind of helped me out here in a sense, or, yeah. you know, just getting that comfort. He needed Damone to encourage him and push him up to that yeah. counter. He needed yeah. it. Now Brad is removing some graffiti, which, do you want to say what it says? Well... <laughs> It's it's Harry, r- rhymes with Harry. Stussy. Uh, yeah. It's a big Harry. Oh, Harry Stussy. Yes. Something or another. Yeah. That's just on the surface. But what's going on is he's rehearsing his talk or his upcoming talk with Lisa in the mirror, which is really good. And while this is happening, Arnold comes running in. He's got to use the restroom and says, hey, would you cover the register for me? And when he comes out, Mike, what Well, happens? we see a what we'll find is a disgruntled customer who is expecting yeah. that they're to get their money back because they didn't get the hundred percent guarantee on the food, which is a big bold yep. sign that's in the restaurant. Yeah. It couldn't be any bigger. A hundred percent guarantee. And, and Brad being like the total, uh, you know, guy that does everything by the book and a pillar of the community type of dude and wants to be totally correct within the corporate world and do all this stuff has a, you know, he wants to go by, Protocol, and this uh, yeah. this uh, um, person who's eating there is not going to have it. By the way, that the, the the guy that they cast is spectacular. He's in his he's voice great. and his mannerisms. He's so he's such great. the irritable, he, like pain in the ass customer <laughs> that anybody would yeah. not want to have. Just reach inside the register and give my money back, Brad. Yeah. You know, I just, I wouldn't, you know, it's so good. And then Brad's like, well, you ate most of it and I'm going to have to get a form here. And yeah, he's clunky. He doesn't want to break the rules. He easily could just give him But he's trying to do the right thing, right? He's trying to do Do the the right right thing. thing. He's trying to figure it out on how to do the right thing. Well, the right thing would be to go get his manager and step away, but he gets mad and he he loses. Yeah, his he's temper. trying to handle it himself, like as a grown-up or not. I don't know, but yeah, he does kind of snap a little bit. <laughs> and you kind of, kind of see the people in the background. They start, oh, you shit. know, looking up as things the commotion builds. And yeah, it's a great payoff for Brad. He he grew up a lot in that scene, and yes, he did lose his job. And I even like behind him, next to the one hundred percent guaranteed sign, there's the employee of the month, and it's Brad on there, which is great. <laughs> You're firing Brad. This is our top dog. But he crossed the line and this is just a job and he's in the system. And another shot to like a out. teenager's confidence, right? As they're just trying to figure yep. it out. 
So, yeah, I thought I thought I handled that appropriately. For, no, you think I guess I've been fired in their life. And what is that feeling when you feel fired? You just feel down and out, like the whole world's just crumbled. You know, especially at a younger yep. age, if you've been fired for you know something like that. Um, and so yeah. you see him. Uh, well, it leads him to the pool and some other things, but um, you do see Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Coppola, uh, in the kitchen. Quick shot of him. So he's at the school and he made it in this scene as well. So he he works at All American. Yeah, Barbara. he got his couple frames in there. Next we have our only dream sequence in the film and Spicoli is having an incredible dream. I mean, Mike, this is just so textbook Spicoli. You know, he's just I love the the, the setup is this He's talking to a sportscaster because he's just been triumphant at a surfing contest. And there are these two like swimsuit models next to him. But they, I love that the fact that they put Sean Penn like at a lower level. So he's much shorter than these women who are towering over him. There's just something about the, the staging of that. It's just so great. It's great. And then, you know, that uh, having grown up in Southern California, I don't, you know, I don't know if the, <clears throat> you knew who Stu Nahan was, but he was a local. Uh, sportscaster in LA. So, oh, yeah, that's so that really, he was a, he's he was amazing. a real sportscaster. So, for the locals in Los Angeles, it like it even hit harder. I mean, even hit closer because you're like, oh, yeah, let's make it even more realistic, right? Let's get the real sportscaster in there. So, it's Stu Nahan. Oh, okay, awesome. So, other people might have thought he's just an actor, but no, he's actually a real sportscaster in Los Angeles. Well, I thought he was a real sportscaster. I thought for ESPN, of course, this predates ESPN, most yeah. likely. But no, he's fantastic. You know, well, Stu, I'll tell you, I love it. And I even like when Spicoli's like, where'd you get that jacket? And I, what he, what's Stu say? I got it yeah. from the network. And he, he just wants to continue the interview. But it's just such a great scene. And I'm so glad they had the presence of mind to put it in the film. And so that dream sequence is, um, you're like, well, is he actually this really happening? And they, I think they played it out well. You didn't know it just off the top if that's what was going on. Now we see your classic school assembly, which for the most part are often very lame and anticlimactic. But while the assembly is going on and the cheerleaders are sharing their disappointment with the student body, Brad has lost his confidence. And it all happened with losing his job, takes his edge off a little. He's come down a few rungs and he's trying to now... Mike reaffirm his love to Lisa. He's no longer the guy rehearsing the breakup in the mirror. He's trying to latch on to her because he can control, you know, something, not her, but the relationship. And which is kind of interesting. And just to point out one thing that Lisa, if you may or may not know, is played by Amanda Weiss. And she had a very similar role in Better Off Dead when she played Beth who dumped Lane Meyer, played by John Cusack. And to take it further, she played a different Beth on Cheers in 1985 in two episodes where she dumped Woody, played by Woody Harrelson. She's so the dumper. Beth, Beth was the prototype girlfriend who is going to dump you. So that sets the stage for... What happens next? You see, you see um, just a total... Uh, table turn here, right? You see him prepping for one thing in order to deliver a blow. And the next thing you know, he's basically been prepping himself to not necessarily receive the blow he was going to give. And so she, in a, in a nice, in the nicest way possible, basically says, Hey, um, I'm thinking exactly what you were, you've been thinking. 
and I'm going to actually execute this before you. So you see him just beat down even more now. Yeah, he can't believe it. He's just like, what? It always hurts more to be the dumpy than the dumper. But had he not been knocked down a few rungs, not lost his job in the earlier scene, maybe if she brought it up first, it would have been a conversation that could have been a very amicable breakup. But yeah, he takes it as another slight. Like now the world shifted and Brad... You know, the guy who was washing his car just a few scenes ago is no longer that Brad. He's no longer centered. There's definitely a shift, right? As to like yeah. his empowerment and he's no longer the man. He's now just a guy who's losing it, you know, and, and he wears it. it on his sleeve. Hey, Brad, where are you working? I was fired from All American Burger. Guys come to him to get jobs like Arnold. Guys probably look up to him. He's dating Lisa. For two years. So, yeah, he's not, he's lost both of those things his senior year. And yeah, Brad's uh, path has deviated. What's he going to do? We will soon find out. So now we're back at the mall and Damone gives Mark dating advice. And I love this, Mike. I love this. He uses a Deborah Harry cutout to illustrate his. Five-point plan. This is just great on so many levels. A, Deborah Harry. Absolutely one of my childhood crushes. Blondie, are you kidding me? He gives five points here. Damone, which I love that name, by the way. Damone gives five points, yeah. right, uh, to operate from. And the f- the fourth one, I think it's the fourth one that I always kind of really, I think, can stick with anybody. And it was something to the effect of like, always make the girl feel like where you are is important. Or the place to place, place to, to be. be. And you're so like, good. well, yeah, that's so basic. But Damone was ahead of his time. He was he was being present. And we all struggle and want to be present. And that that was his way of doing it. Like, just I'm right here and this is where I need to be. And that is a good way to go through life. So Damone's wisdom uh wasn't all uh lowbrow. It had some uh there's some That is a, that is a all. really good point. I didn't bring that up. He was present. And that's super important. That's a really good point. And his fifth point is also amazing, which is whenever you have the chance, put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4. This takes us right to, I like this cut. I love these cuts, these hard cuts. You go from that kind of advice to, we're in the car. We're already in the car. Not going to knock on the door. We're already in the car. Mark is driving, Stacy's next to him, and Led Zeppelin plays on the stereo. And of course, they're uncomfortable but, silence between the two. <laughs> and he's got it really loud. So it's not even just like on, it's, it's on to a degree that is not even a talking level, but because he's taking Damone's advice in. But one little trivia thing here, Mike, what's playing is Cashmere, uh... which is not on Led Zeppelin 4. It's on physical graffiti. But Damone's advice is, if you have the chance, do this. So for whatever reason, and I know the reason, but Mark didn't have access to that. So he put on physical graffiti. And Cashmere is an incredible song. But the true reason is they just didn't, they couldn't get the rights for Led Zeppelin 4. So they must have shot it, got said the lines and like, it's in the can. It's in the can. It's a great line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I could have said, always put on side one of physical graffiti, but no. And 
So that's kind of a cool little tidbit, but still works. It's great seeing Led Zeppelin because you just don't hear Led Zeppelin in movies very often. And they go to Barone's famous Italian restaurant. And Mike, I just love the way they sit in these super oversized chairs and they look like little kids at the kid table. It's just so it, funny to me. It is um, such a way of communicating age and the socioeconomic being of them and, and through a nonverbal type of just a strict visual, you know, that just really says a lot. Those two chairs says a lot about those two. Mark discovers that he forgot his wallet, sneaks away to the restroom to call Damone, his one buddy, you know, his best buddy. He asked Damone, which Mike, it also cracked me up that Damone is home on a potential date night. Could have been out with a lady, could have been scalping tickets or at a show, but he's at home and watching TV in his room. So Mark calls and asked him as a friend, can you, Damone, ask your mother to borrow her car Go to my house, get my wallet, and bring me my wallet. And so he does it. Good friend. Good friend. Yeah, and and, and he's nervous as hell oh that he's gosh. not going to be able to pay for pay yeah. for the meal. I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like, oh my god, I've got the girl of my dreams here, and I don't have any money to pay for this. What am I going to do? And it's interesting you know? again not to rely on parents in this movie. That's we don't do that. I mean, yeah. in reality, Mark, well, in this day and age, you could be on a phone, you could do so many things, but you know, you would think his first thing would be call home, mom and dad, they'll swing by, keep it low key, but he doesn't do that. He calls his buddy to get him out of a jam. And so, yeah, it's interesting that we don't bring parents in and I'm glad we didn't, but there's a reason for this because everything is purposeful as in Crow's writing is because when he comes... Damone meets Stacy. There's kind of a, there's a little spark there, Mike, I would say. Just a hint. Yeah, the gaze is just a little just longer a little. than normal. Like he's cool while she's attractive because he's seen her from afar. She works at Perry's Pizza, but to see her out on a date with Mark, it just, you know. As just he a takes little... a bite of a squirting. Um, yeah, what was that? Of, and a squirting drink grape or all. drink. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's kind of a rude uh, guy. I love he acts like he's there. Oh, you you come here? Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm here. Hey, I found your wallet. You may want this. So clunky. Yeah, it's just calls funny. him out in front of in front of the girl. Tola calls him out. Oh, yeah. Like like a jerk, but like, okay, that's kind of what you do with your buddies anyway. You kind of dig them. And so they leave and he's taking Stacy home and conveniently her parents are traveling. They're away. And she comes in and Mike, she has him help her unzip her blouse, her dress. She goes and changes and puts on like a rope. Yeah. She doesn't mess around anymore now. Something right? She like grew up real fast, suggestive. No. That was intentional. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, I. that's amazing. So, but you can tell that Mark is very uncomfortable that, in this situation. That, I think that little something that the director did there with her, him helping her unzip the back of her blouse or yeah. whatever. It reminded me of, I believe it was an ice storm when Christina Ricci is oh, in that, that. And there's a, there's a point where she, there's another teenager there. I think this is correct where um, she bends yeah. down or something like that. And a little bit of her, her crack of her rear comes out with her, with her longer pant line. And the kid sees that. Yeah. And it's those little things when you're a teenager, you just see that little something. And then it's like, your hormones are kind of like, what's going on here? Like there's something 
going on. And for something, it's just capturing that little moment of innocence, but curiosity, but you don't want to be a bad person, but you are interested in this physical thing that's happening that you don't even know how to control it. Yeah. It's a great moment you point out, and it definitely happens in the sequence. Yeah, he's you know he's never done this before. He, he's crossing lots of lines here. He he's having a lot of first. He's never been on a date, most likely. Never got a girl's number. Never un you know unzipped a girl's blouse or dress, and never been in a, probably a girl's house under these circumstances. So a lot of first for him. It's moving really fast for him, and this leads to his. Well, his and hers, but for him, it's his first, most likely, their first kiss. Yeah, and it's and it's you know, again, I love how it's crafted. Like we want these these movies and these moments to be like perfectly set, but but of course, it goes too far for young Mark, and it gets a little too. I don't know. The hormones are kicking in, and because Stacy was definitely inviting more to happen. And you know, based on Linda's advice and experience and, you know, she's probably ready to have sex at this point in time, not really understanding it, but ready for it. And Mark uh, has to get out of there and he makes a beeline for the door and he's gone. Yeah. And you, you kind of want to feel for him, but you kind of got to go, you know what? That's what it's like to be a kid. So now we see Spicoli and Charles Jefferson's little brother taking Charles's car out for a drunken spin while he's out of town. I, I mean, there's so many nuggets in this, but one of the funniest ones, there's two of them, but one of the funniest ones is when they're, they're driving along and Spicoli, of course, is like the cool guy, but he's drunk and he's swerving all over the place. And, they, and, and Jefferson's younger brother, uh, you know, they're both high too. He's like, Spicoli, that was a red light. And he says something to the effect of like, um, but it was like a yellow a minute ago or something. So I'm like, you know what? That's He's so kind of right. And that's kind of really funny. Those lines are priceless lines that you hear from kids. So true. And this sequence leads to a pretty good stunt sequence, actually. The car uh, going way too fast. So Spicoli loses control. And it kind of leads to, I would say, like a one-car accident, thank goodness, because they probably could have killed somebody. They swerved to miss someone, and they, they go through what appears to be like road work that's shut down for the night, and they're, they're going on the side of the road. And this car is – this is like a scene out of chips. Like the car goes airborne, and when it lands – like, you know, this is pre-airbags as well. These two guys are – our beloved Spicoli and Charles Jefferson's younger brother could have been killed, but they survived. And immediately young Jefferson knows that this is going to bring the wrath of his brother, who, by the way, is this incredible football star badass. So what happens, Mike? Give me some Spicoli-isms. <laughs> well... There's a few of them there, but I, I, Jefferson's younger brothers basically says, you know, you're, my brother's going to kill me. You're going to kill my, no, my brother's going to shit. Yeah. And then, then Spicoli's like, what? What do you mean? And then he's like, my brother's going to kill you or kill us. And then he's like, well, what's he going to do? <laughs> shit or kill yeah. you, kill us. He's like, first he's going to shit, then he's going to kill it's us. So good. And so you just see this kid just so scared. 
And then Spicoli, because he's so calm and either so high and drunk, yeah. leads into like, you know, some ridiculous like logic. His, in his mind, that, yeah, his logic is like, everything's fixable, man. Because his father's what, like a re- yeah. television repairman? Has My cool old tools. man's a television repairman. <laughs> He's got an <laughs> ultimate set of tools. Yeah. Like he has no idea how to work on a car, but since there's some sort of tools and yeah, we could solve this. Uh, hilarious. Yeah. He was really stoned, I think, when he- Always the optimist. Always the optimist. Now, I right. will say, and I don't want to spoil it, when they really decided to solve this problem, they came up with an incredible, and I mean incredible solution, but we'll, we'll hold off on that for right yeah. now. It is, it is uh, remarkable. It's a remarkable idea, but the television repair kit is not going to do it. This car is in bad shape, Mike. Yeah, not even close. Now back at school and there's yet another mini montage because it's rival week and Ridgemont is set to play Lincoln. And Mike, I love the montage. Everyone's getting ready and things are happening and school prides, you know, comes to the forefront, but there's these pins and they say, assassinate Lincoln. <laughs> Just straight, straight to the historical so reference. straight, right historical there. Historical reference. Like, it's perfect. Yeah. And it's been long enough that you maybe get away with that, but yeah, maybe, maybe not this day and age. But hilarious in the 80s, you could wear that around about a president who was assassinated. And I'm so glad a female directed this because I think it gave it um, a different angle as to what what envelopes were being pushed. Like even during that montage, uh, you know, we're all talking about sex. The sex is a topic in here that's, you know, undeniable, you know, young kids and all that. But there's a shot of this girl walking with a Lincoln shirt on and she comes towards us and she's not wearing a bra and it's full like frontal of a girl in a shirt. And you're just like, that was a female's perspective. Like, okay, I'm just going to put it out there. This is how kids are and this is what it's about. And if there was just no, right, screw it, this is what it is. And, um, you know, for the guys and, and what's that say? Isn't it kill Lincoln? Something like that. Yeah, right. And so, which is also right on the nose. It's like they they took the historical reference to heart. But good point on you know what you're bringing up. Though. Yeah. So it, I I think it's um, it helps push the story along as to just being um, not from a male perspective. Uh, I think really helps the right. film. And so, not that we had to hold back for long. Because the plan is in play. So basically, I think um, kids get super creative, right? And they might have done this with a party. Someone's these, you know, high school people have these parties and they blame it on somebody else if something gets broken within the house because the parents are gone. They say the dog did it or something like this. So these guys take this to the nth degree, right? And they, they instead they park, they pull the completely demolished car into the front of the school where everybody's around it, and then they've spray painted on this car like. Yeah, like Ridgemont sucks and you know, all these things, you know, degrading their school and, and references to Lincoln, Lincoln rules. So, yeah, they didn't shy away from the fact, or they've portrayed it that way, that this was stolen from the best football player at Ridgemont High and probably the local area. And Lincoln did this and we're proud of it. What a setup. What a setup. What a complete setup. And then now, Forrest gets pissed. Forrest Whitaker is losing his mind when he sees this. And you can see the blood boiling. So that wonderful, successful plan, you see Spicoli and Charles's brother kind of like smile at each other, like, nailed it. We got away with this one. Yeah. 
And now we're at the football game, which, you know, now it's Ridgemont versus Lincoln. And Charles Jefferson has the defensive game of the century, I think, in this instance. Yeah, he's pretty amped up and he takes out all that uh, animosity and anger and takes it out on the other team. And it's always fun to see uh, how movies portray football games and the tackles and, and some of the stuff yeah. that goes on. And the, and he just mutilates the other team. But to see the shaking body on the field uh, that yeah. after he's tackled someone, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Pretty funny too. I love this sequence. Being a huge football fan and having played football growing up, and I just love it so much. And Ridgemont High wins forty-two to nothing, and he exercises all those demons. Still doesn't have a car, but I guess the insurance and yeah, work that out. Or no, no, but he, he's elated. He got the car for free, right? They bought it for him, like alumni or somebody bought it for him. So he's going to get another car. Oh, that's true. He so said the donors are probably already hooked yeah, him he up. Said, he yeah. said. I think he's even spiking a ball at the end of the movie as they're all celebrating, which, you know, and they're carrying him off. He had the game, like I said, of a century. So, and I like this movie can just deviate and have the storyline that it's its own self-contained thing, but this movie rounds it out. This is high school. There's lots of moving parts and you can't cover it all. And it's kind of funny to also see... Spicoli and Charles's brother in the in the stands, right? And they're just like happy that the plan is even served them all more with this huge victory. Yeah, they feel good about so it. This is they feel good. They're they're behind the scenes, behind the curtain, orchestrating this win. So yeah, so maybe Spicoli has some sort of future. He you know he's an out outside the box thinker. And who knows what he could come up with? I mean, he's got some, he's made some pretty smart decisions. Like he knows how to get out of his stuff. And thank goodness he has fast reflexes too. That always pays off. That wreck could have been worse had he not had his cat like reflexes. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so pretty funny. Now we quickly see Brad. He's got a new job and he wears a pirate costume as he's working at Captain Hook's, which was in Northridge. By the way. Ah, okay. Northridge. Got it. Long gone, but in Northridge. Okay. And so we just know that that just sets things up for a scene that's coming later. But Brad has uh, joined the job force and has a job, probably feeling a little bit better about himself, and uh, at least for right now. And so now we're back at Stacy's house, and Stacy and Linda are at their poolside when Mark and Damone pop in. Which they do in high school. You know, such and such has a pool. Let's pop by, go for a swim. This is uninvited. Uninvited. You know, sometimes you just pop in. Yeah. You know, fill things out. And I think Linda's just like, she's also in high school, but you can tell that she's more like a college girl. She doesn't look at these guys as her. Yeah. She's dating older, older guys. Counterparts. She's dating older guys. She dates up. And. She doesn't want to have any of this tomfoolery, but Damone comes in. I like that he pushes Mark in the pool, takes his hat off, thank goodness, but then shoves him in the pool. And we, you know, it's just teenagers at play. That's all we got going on here until Brad comes home. Yeah. And I just said he was feeling good about himself, but I think the pirate costume and the fact that he is single. So he's not old Brad just yet. I think he's happy he got a job, but I think he feels like a fool in this costume. So Brad comes home, doesn't have Lisa anymore. And the last thing you want to do, Mike, when you're not feeling good about yourself is to be around others. Especially hot other girls. Here's, 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, here's Stacy with Linda. Now two guys he doesn't know. They're all go to the same school, but Brad's a senior and he just wants to come home. He's got some stuff to work on and he's just kind of dejected. I don't know if he's sad as he is dejected and he's just focused on what he needs to do. And Damone even says, I don't know if you heard this line or not, but he's like, who's his tailor? And just a little... Just a little shot at not <laughs> too Brad, that but to everyone else kind of funny, uh, I thought. I didn't recall that line. Okay, that's pretty yeah, funny. It's off camera. This little you one. just hear the audio. It's like, oh, that's kind of funny. So, Little shot. Okay, that's so good. Now, I like that one. Mike, this sets up. As many great scenes that are in this movie, this sets up the quintessential scene in this movie for what it's remembered. And, and it's also driven by... A great song. By a great band. Yeah. So um basically uh, Brad's pretty down on the pretty down on himself. All the kids are like you said are out in the pool area and he kind of just decides to go inside, but he decides to take a little peek outside to see what's going on out there and he actually sees Linda out there in her hot red outfit and he decides to kind of And when you say outfit, you mean bikini. Bikini, yeah, bikini. So he yes. He Two decides piece. to take his imagination to an interesting place kind of privately and then a major uh, fantasy sequence begins on the cue of uh, the cars and uh, the name of the song, uh, Moving, Moving in, in Stereo. stereo. Uh, and um, slow motion comes to life. So basically his fantasy starts yeah. to happen in front of his eyes. And um, half, uh, that fantasy is kind of blown up, blown up in probably one of the most embarrassing moments. It is amazing that Linda dives into the pool. And so as she dives in real time, and you can tell that Brad is familiar with Linda. Even when he was dating Lisa, you know, he's probably always said internally at least, and maybe to his friends, Linda's kind of hot. You know, that definitely was said. Because he's he knows her right away. She dives in the pool. As she comes up, in real life, she has water in her ear. But now Brad's fantasies kicked in. And yes, she slowly walks to Brad with a wonderful song, the car song going, and uh, opens the bikini top to reveal her breast. Which again, for the time, Mike, for the time, this is a scene that teenagers and probably older talked about. So it was just so iconic. When they played this on TV, these scenes get cut. Yeah. It was just so groundbreaking. You know, they did the edit for TV. You're only going to see it if it was on HBO, uh, the full the full versions. But she slowly walks to him and she says his name and they're making out and the real Stacy's now gotten out of the pool, water in the ear, and says, oh, do you have any Q-tips? And, oh, yeah, they're in the restroom. And then she goes in the restroom. And, yes, to be caught masturbating is a low point. And to be caught masturbating by the person you're masturbating to is probably more rare. And that probably is a whole other low. <laughs> I should share the fact that I've listened to the director's commentary on this film. And she does divulge the fact that uh, Judge Reinhold, unbeknownst to Phoebe Cates, had a dildo 
in his hands. And when she came in, he turned to show her. And so her reaction was real. Like, whoa, my, it, it caught her off guard so much that that's why you probably got some of that incredible facials. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Good method acting there on the judge's part. Wow. Well done. Well done. Classic. I guess. All the, all the cinema secrets. But yeah, absolutely a classic scene um, that um, is definitely burned into a lot of uh, people's minds. So now we're back to Mr. Hand, who's teaching class when the pizza guy shows up. Another classic scene. And back to my earlier point, another great idea by Spicoli. Spicoli has ordered some pizza. Mr. Hand in the opening sequence was real big on no food. And Spicoli's continued to break that rule when he brought the bagel in. And so he orders this pizza and this just pushes Mr. Hand over the top. Yeah. Way, way over the top. And it just hits more on that food, on the food motifs when it happens. And and, And those two have a very good moment. But I have to say also, the casting of that pizza delivery guy, the way he was talking uh, yes. just had a special, special something about him that really nailed, nailed it. I thought he was great cast, whoever he was. So I'm so glad you bring him up because I've always loved that actor. And to research him for this episode, I didn't realize he had oh. passed away. And Taylor Negron. And I also remember him being in Better Off Dead. But this actor, anytime he's in a scene, Mike, he tends to steal the scene. He's not even happy to be there, but he's happy to do this because most delivery guys would not take a pizza to a classroom. He'll do it, but he's going to let you know you're putting him out. Right. Exactly. It's great. To know the mindset and to know the mindset of that person is is to know your characters, right? And then that really helps push this. Yes. So pretty good. So back to, okay, so back to this classic exchange. um, yeah, exchange of my time, your time, and pizza time. Yeah, that's it. Learn about Cuba, having some food. And Mr. Han is having none of it. But I do like Spicoli's reasoning. You know, he's like, I've been thinking about this, Mr. Han. And if I'm here and you're here, isn't this our time? Very good logic that makes Mr. Han go, you know, all right, you got me there. You got me there. Here's what I'm going to do. And what's he do, Mike? Well, he basically says, "What's well, it's also my class. So at that point, he then you know takes the pizza from Spicoli and says, all right, so since this is my class and it's all our time, it's going to be all our pizza. Um, and basically shares it with the class. And Spicoli's last line, which I didn't say, which was, certainly there's nothing wrong with a little feast on our time. Yeah, so he gives the pizza out and Spicoli's just kind of, Beside himself, just like, oh, man, one-upped by Mr. Han. And I know you've talked about food, but with Spicoli, to me, it's always fashion as well. Yeah. This top he's wearing, those became legendary in their own right. I don't even know what you call that thing, but everybody had one all of a sudden. It's kind of a poncho. Yeah, it's like a poncho. Yeah. So now Damone walks Stacy home. Mike, this is bad news bears. You have no business walking home a girl that your best friend has the hots for. True, true. And it doesn't stop there. Well, it's, this is, a, I think, is a very important part, though, in their characters. Because yeah. 
Because yes. Damone says, while this, while Stacy's talking, he says, hey, my friend really likes you. And he yep. feels Mark, it. And yeah. you feel like, you know what? He's actually a good guy. He's going to tell her this girl, like, hey, look. And then she switches it on him. And gullible guys at whatever age by an attractive young girl says, yeah, he's a nice guy, but I think I like you. And in that very yeah. moment – the shift happens where he was a good guy or at least trying to be a good guy and now he's leaning into questionable guy. And she ends up yeah. going with him back to the house. Had they talked and and Mark shared the fact that he had a good first date with Stacy, but not going to call her. He doesn't know what to think. And they talked that out enough time has passed. Okay, but we're still in that unquestionable time and not cool. But Stacy is making the moves. She's out exploring her sexuality. And as far as she knows, she had a roadblock with Mark. I don't know if they've even talked that much, but she feels that she scared him away. And so she's moved on. And she can do what she wants, but she's moved on to Damone. And so he mentions the fact, though, do you have any iced tea? You know, Damone is just so cool. Because, again, wherever he is is the place to be. And so whatever someone says is, you know, acts as if. So, uh, and this leads to another groundbreaking nudity and sex scene. I think it's a big point for both the characters. Um, because yeah. one of his lines comes back and bites him. And that line yes. was a line earlier that he talks about no matter what happens, as long as the toes keep tapping. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in this yep. scene where they are intimate in the back pool room, uh, yeah. every kid across every nation has either down in the basement, in the back of the car, or wherever you were, the cornfields of wherever – there's that place. At the dugout, at Encino, Little League, wherever, wherever it is. Know, wherever. And this is the point where we really see what, if, what is Damone, who he really said he was. Uh, and there's a scene there where his toes are tapping while he's- Now, albeit he has socks on. Right. But while they're having sex, right? And I thought this was yes. like, yeah. this is another great story point that circled back, that the director circled back on. There was like, yeah, exactly. This is, and you may not know, like, oh, it's a shot yeah. of the feet. Okay, great. But that was really telling you the story of who he was. Yeah, that's a good No point. experience. Way to bring that around. He just didn't have the experience. He thought he did. And then he's, whether guilt sets in well, or. It's also obvious he's not as experienced as Ron Johnson, RJ, as we like to call him. It's because this is a very, uh, how do I say, a very quick sex scene. Right. I mean, Stacy doesn't even know what happened. And she's like, you know, yeah, I guess the terminology would be premature ejaculation. And obviously, Damone is not as experienced in these things as uh, he's led us to believe. Yeah. I mean, the song doesn't even get through the first verse, I don't think. No. We queued up Jackson Brown, Somebody Baby. And I like the way it just cuts out as soon as he finishes. It's a really nice job they did that. Yeah. Damone can't get out of there fast enough. Well, do you think it's because he's ashamed of that or is ashamed because it's his buddy or both or? Both. Yeah. Like who's someone who's probably has a fragile ego, as we all do, especially at this age. He's crossed lines. He doesn't know what to say. And yeah, you know, I think it serves the character better that this happened. It serves the movie better that it happened. I would like to think that he could handle the situation better, even if that happened. 
hey, it's okay. And he'd hang around and they'd have some more tea and they'd try it again. But I love the fact that they wrote it this way. I, I prefer this, you know, here's a guy that we thought was, had all the answers in life. And wow, it was really good. It was uh, much, you know, there's more takeaways this way. It just showed his immaturity as much as he seemed yeah. mature. And it shows yeah. that most people are guarded and they'll invent people that they want you to believe that they are and, you know, shielding you from their true self. And uh, yeah, that was really good. It was good to see a guy like that be vulnerable. And her as well. I mean, she's trying to take oh, bigger yeah. steps now to try to figure it out. Um, and- yeah. Is it me? She's like, Ron, stop calling after the flowers. Mark kisses me and bails. This guy has sex with me and is out of here. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. What I is mean, Stacey Hamilton doing yeah. wrong? I'm, I'm 15 and Linda, my friend, who's maybe a couple years old, has got all the answers. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And all that's at play. And, and all valid, uh, relatable uh, thoughts. Yeah. And they're dealing with adult things. They're just younger adults. Now they have some emotional growth to happen and their brains will be full, fully formed. But yeah, they're dealing with real adult things. I mean, they have jobs, they're getting fired. They need money for things, which we'll get to some real life situations. Yeah, there's real consequences in life, which we also find out. So, which we're going to get to very soon. Yeah, the buildup. Uh, Stacy, for those keeping yeah. score at home, Stacy's now had sex with two people, and I don't think contraception was used in either instance. So that's just you know that's just remember that as we move forward in the timeline. And so now back at school, Damone is giving Stacy the brush off. So this is the third guy, Mike. That's giving Stacy the brush off. And that goes back to my point a minute ago about well, what's going on? What am I, you know, I have a scarlet letter on my chest. Why am I right. the Hamiltons have taken some hits in this movie? And Stacy and Brad are gonna hopefully they can rise up above it. That's because they're getting close to the third act. They're getting close. That's why. That's why they're getting so there. now we're at Captain Hooks. And Brad has got the legendary pirate costume on. And his boss says, hey, you're going to go make this delivery to IBM. And so Brad goes to change into street clothes. And he's told to not change out of street clothes. Be proud of the uniform. Go in your pirate's costume. So, all right. So off he goes. Again, staying loyal to the system. Staying loyal to the system. He's a system guy. Yeah, being true, trying to do do what's right. I can't get fired again. I, I worked, you know, and he put a lot of time at All American Burger. You could tell he moved up to the ranks, employee of the month, hiring people. Probably got Lisa her job there. Lisa, yeah, and definitely Arnold, and probably others. But as Brad drives along, we hear Joe Walsh's "Waffle Stomp," good song for the scene. And please tell me what happens. As Brad comes up to a red light. Well, he's there in his Buick and a attractive young lady pulls up next to him. And, you know, he's vibing. He sees her and he thinks that she's kind of smiling at him. But uh, he soon finds out that she's kind of laughing at him because of what he's wearing. And he doesn't realize that, that until she speeds off. 
and he realizes that he's got the ridiculous pirate outfit on. So he's really freaking uh, upset and full of the system. So he rips off his hat and again, beat down on the Hamilton family. <laughs> he's got to drive away, uh, you know, in his car as a girl races off, the pretty girl races off. I love that he starts to eat the food and spit the food out, just, you know, showing us that the food at, at Captain Hook's isn't very good. And this is Brad making his own stand. Like, you know what? This is beneath me. All-American burger, I could wear an apron and maybe a hat, but I'm not dressing like a pirate. And he essentially quits. I mean, it's not said or talked about, but when you don't show up at IBM, you throw all the food out the window, you've quit the job. Yeah. And that was kind of like a literal thing too, right? Just throwing it out the window. So, yes, I was going to say really quickly, the female, the attractive lady, attractive woman in the car is played by Nancy Wilson. And she was in the band Heart, really well-known band from back in the day. And she later married Cameron Crowe. How about there that? There you go. That's it's pretty all amazing. Laid in there. It's all laid in there. So right? now we're at the school track, and Damone is in full scalping mode, talking about the dream police. No, 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 no. He's talking to a girl about your mama's all right, your dad's all right. I love that he's putting the hard sell on an upcoming concert, and this girl's listening to him, and Stacy comes up, and Mike, this is a heavy adult conversation. I mean, adults can't even have this conversation sometimes. Yeah. So you can't. And let alone some 15-year-old and however old Damone is. I mean, what's he, 16, maybe 17? So so tell us what happened. As far as I remember, Damone, yeah, is talking to another girl again, trying to sell some tickets. And so he's like business as usual. But um, Stacy obviously is a little occupied, preoccupied with something that has something on her mind. And she kind of politely demands that uh, he step step aside and they have a conversation about something on her mind. And she kind of just puts it straight up as a true grown-up would do, um, probably better than any grown-up would possibly do. She just kind of lays it straight that she's she's pregnant. The whole world just gets a huge rattle. And he, he yeah. shows his true colors and kind of um, – Super scared, says some things that aren't very nice. And she stands her ground. Yeah, he lashes out. Yeah, she stands her ground. She did a great job in that scene. You're right. She just said something. She was so calm. Like, that's not fair. Like, she did. They didn't get in this ridiculous fight. He lashes out and she reset him immediately. And that, yeah, that's a wonderful moment. As tough as this is, it's just. Ah, it's done so. I mean, how great. much? How much more dramatic can you get besides yeah. maybe a death? Now right. you're talking about the yeah. other side yeah. of it is a possible birth. Like, wow! In this drama comedy thing, there you know, there's a bunch of stoners, and then boom, you've got this, and yeah. you're having these teenagers really talk about. But it. the way they handled it was so mature, and that, you know, that's just uh, a credit to the directing and the acting and the writing. I mean, in a sense, it's. I thought this was kind of a sad point too. You know, uh, oh, it's just a it's yeah, a sad point in different sad ways. Um, uh, well, this is how we find out she's pregnant. We didn't know before this moment, so it's just dropped on us right here. You know, so we're taking it in like. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad that the, this movie does a very good job of that, Mike. 
it doesn't tell you over here and then you got to remember how I like the way it's edited together. I like the the pacing of it and it's okay to have some fun over here with Spicoli and Mr. Han. But it, yeah, it, it, like I say, filmmaking is a lot like building a house. We've got a strong foundation and then you go, to, you know, do you put this in here? Does this work with this? It's good construction. This movie is a very well-built film. Yeah, and I, it, I, that, I think that scene gets to the heart of how serious life can be at that age. Absolutely. As much as it's like the time of innocence and coming of age type stuff, but it's it also showed you like, no, this could be really, really, really heavy. And, and to be sensitive to yeah. that with kids. And Damone walks away too, knowing he's, you know, I've got to hold up my end of the bargain. I was part of this and I'm going to do that for her. And so we're now at Damone's house and he's raising funds essentially and making calls. And I like his notes, Mike. I, I just, I paused it and just took this in because it was, I mean, I've seen it so many times, but prepping for this podcast. And so it says, uh, people who owe me $50, Rick Shasta, REO. Because of course, because the audience knows Damone is a scalper. So $10, Dina Phillips, Knack. Right. The Knack, I assume. $5, Ratner. Now, you can't ask my Mark for right, money. Right, right. That right. would be not good. Hey, give, hey, spot uh, me that five. Pay me back yeah. that five because I got to get that yeah. abortion with the, the girl. So no, can't reach out to him. He's not on the call list right now. And then there's uh, $20, David Brandt, Clash. Again, the Clash. But uh, now, just a little tidbit. David Brandt was Amy Heckerling's ex-husband, probably husband at the time. And he's in the band Reeves, Nevo, and The Cinch, who perform at the dance later in the movie. That's uh, that's a good note. But I, I also noticed in the... Um in the dugout where she loses her virginity is spray yep. paid the cinch is in there if you didn't notice that that i thought there was kind go. of interesting I, I saw disco sucks yeah. in there as well the cinch the is in there. yeah cool but no yeah. i didn't see the cinch good job and then on the expenses column it says abortion 75 dollars his portion and below that i have to question or bring up it says rod stewart $60, question mark. If Damone was going to go see Rod Stewart, we're saving up money. But now that's been question marked because- What a great note. That puts, that puts um, the mindset there as to, okay, this is where in my life, this is kind of how they value. And you're like, wow, the difference between them. Yeah. Right. But Rod Stewart got the question mark, which is nice. So it's like, no, I got to do the right thing. Now, this leads me to this other phase of this conversation about the note taking and the scene itself is because he's on the phone with Rick. He went right to the guy that owes him 50, which would definitely get him so close to his goal. But Rick doesn't have the money. And when Rick doesn't give him the money, Thing, the plan starts to implode. I mean, without that 50, he's looking at 30 tops. And again, parents don't have a real place in this universe of this film. And so borrowing money from mom and dad is not an option. And I love the Stevie Nicks song, 
Sleeping Angel is playing. It's a great song. And it just takes us from, you know, this scene of him making the calls and trying to raise the money all the way to Stacy at the curb waiting for the ride from Damone, who never the, shows. Yeah, the ride doesn't, because he can't show his face. He can't face can't his reality. His I mean, Mike, he could have just said, called her and said, I'm having a hard time with the money. Can I pay you later? Hey, he knows all about IOUs, but I'll definitely drive you. But he just hides in a hole. It's all about image for Damone, right? He's got this image to keep up that he can't face. Yep. It's unfortunate because you want you want Damone to come through on this, but he just can't. He's not at that level to do so it. So Stacy does call Damone's mother. And just sidebar, Stacy's the only character to have interactions with any parents. Her yeah. own mother and Mike's mom. When she calls Damone and the mom answers, I was wondering, this is maybe far-fetched, but she's kind of picking at, playing at apples. And there's a re- – and I was like, is this Adam and Eve, the right. apple type of thing, the fruit? T- I was just long-shotting it, but I'm like, no, there's a reason why she's playing with food and it's apple. There's a reason. There's got to be a reason. So, I was trying to think what – anyway, anyway, just long shot, Adam but roll your eyes yeah. if you can out there, whoever's listening. But but it's a possibility. No, there's probably some meaning behind that. I, you know, some symbolism. Some absolute. That's a good point. Yeah, Adam and Eve they cross the line here, and uh, and they're paying the price, or she is anyway. And so Damone is not available. His mother says that he's out in the garage helping his father. And so Stacy then hears Brad backing out of the driveway and yells to catch a ride. And so she says, we're going bowling, and he drops her off at Corbin Bowl. And let me just say, Mike, I've been to Corbin Bowl. I've bowled there on a date and had a wonderful time. But I knew when I was there that Fast Times didn't have a scene there, but it was in the movie. So that was kind of cool for me. So fun times at Corbin Bowl. I actually made it inside the bowling alley, unlike Stacy, who... As Brad drives away, what does she do, Mike? Well, she beelines from the bowling alley and makes her way into what we're going to find out is an abortion clinic. But she runs across Ventura Boulevard to get there. Oh, true. Yeah. So, and her brother sees in this side view mirror that what a rear view mirror that uh, uh, her his sister has basically is up to something. So, being a good big brother, turns around. And goes to where Stacy is and waits outside for her to come out of the abortion clinic. And she was actually supposed to have a ride. And she said she lies. She's like, oh, no, my ride's downstairs. I didn't know. And then they released her. And she goes outside not knowing how she's probably going to get home. And there's Brad. And he knows where she's been. It must say it on the, you know, on the front of the building. He knows. And it's a nice moment that he's there for her when she needs him. And his world has just crumbled. And he's still there. He's like, that's my sister. I got her back. You know? Yeah. Well, whatever he's dealt with is not this serious either. Yeah. And he's just the loyal brother that she can look up to. And again, he stays, he's there as a, a pillar for somebody, her. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what was what I think was very understanding, him understanding where she's coming from is when uh, he said, uh, you know, so who was it? And she said, and then she doesn't really answer. And he says, you're not going to tell me either. And he kind of said, that's okay. Like he was like, it's all right. I get it. That's your, he said that, you know, that's your secret. And that's for you to know. I'm just here for you, which is 
sometimes that's all we ever need in any type of yeah. heavy situation. Yeah, no judgment. He just says, hey, you hungry? Let's go get some food. She needed a shoulder to cry on in that moment or just embrace someone and be there for her. And and it can't always be Linda. You know, sometimes it has to be your flesh and blood. And this is her big brother doing so. And it's great. It's a great moment. So now Stacy tells Linda what happened with Damone and she calls him what? Uh, I think it's Little Prick. That little <laughs> prick. You got it. You nailed it. And uh, she kind of goes off, being the protector, you know, and as, that's her, as every that's friend. Her friend. Of, yeah. every and friend and she want. knows the person. If Brad knew it was Damone, I'm sure he would have done something to him. But Linda already knew. But now she knows Damone let her down. Bailed, if you will. And she's not one to hold back. No. No, Phoebe Cates in this role is a bit fiery. And again, a great scene, great editing, great directing. The way it goes from that little prick cut to Damone's house. And on his car, it says just that. Yeah, it comes out, Obviously, of, his, comes out of his apartment and just boom, he's been tagged right on his gremlin, of course. Yes. He's got a gremlin, which we all know yep. is not like the car to have. And then when he actually leaves the premises and drives to school, he's covered up yeah. with cardboard taped onto his car where it was written, little prick, which to me was, again, such such a nice way of, of reflecting who he is. Like he has to cover up who he really is by putting this over it. But underneath right. it, he's still that same person. So it's, that to me was like, ah, okay, another layer of how to present him. Not washing it off, not doing that. He has to cover up who he is. Yeah. Now we're back at school and we're in the locker room. And Mark, who now knows what happened, confronts Damone. And this is really a, a big scene and a tough scene to see, you know, like you say, the teacher and the student and two good friends and... Now they're on opposite ends over Stacy, and what happens, Mike? And well, and well, Mark, it's pretty cool. He actually stands up for himself. He actually yes, stands he up for himself, and he's very stern. And he puts he puts Damone basically on the spot again. I just I always look into the layers of why would they use the locker room, blah blah blah. But I was thinking about this like, okay, Damone is nearly naked. He is going to be revealed for who he is. And that's possibly why they decided in the locker room. I don't totally know, but it seemed to make sense. We have completely stripped you down, man. Now I see who you are. And yeah, so well, they you have can't this hide discussion. behind the clothes. You can't hide behind the persona. Right. right. So, yeah. So, you know, um, uh, Rat uh, has a conversation with him, very direct about what's going down. And this is where some unfortunate. Uh, truths are said and realized yeah. and Mark has to live with that mini heartbreak or betrayal uh, and uh, in his um, pursuit of figuring it out with this girl. He says some things that are right on the nose. You know, hey, you know, look at De like they all make fun of Damone and he stands up for him and people see Damone for who he is and Mark is closest to him. Couldn't even see the real Damone until now. Yeah. And so... Now, a lot came out in this exchange, and they nearly come to blows, but 
this is a normal device that we see in movies is the teacher or superintendent or whoever comes in and breaks it up before it ever happens. So it's a, it's a, it's a short scene, but it's a very important scene. And we don't know where their friendship lies, but they got a lot off their chest. And, and Mark was right. And I'm very proud of Mark for standing up for himself. And sometimes relationships need to be tested. And him saying those things, he shouldn't feel guilty about what he said. He needed to say it. But sometimes you become better friends for having these types of moments in life. But we'll see. We'll see where this thing goes. But it's over. We're out. We've moved on in the movie. And now Mr. Vargas, who we haven't seen in a while, is doing the annual field trip, which is kind of mentioned in the earlier scene in biology class that Arnold was talking about, but they're going to the hospital and we get Dr. Miller, which you may or may not know, was played by Martin Brest. And Martin Brest was a pretty prolific filmmaker himself. He did movies like Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run, Scent of a Woman, and so many more. And I love that he plays this little bit part. And so... Fargus goes in to, a, I guess, a, a cadaver and starts to explore said cadaver and pull out body parts to examine them. And, and, uh, and I even like the fact that Spicoli has joined this field trip, even though he's not in Mr. Vargas's biology class. He says, well, I am today. <laughs> yeah. Are you in my class? I am today. It's great. <laughs> he knows what they're going to do and, and he wants to be a part of it. And so I, I think Vargas even pulls out the heart. Spicoli has another great Spicoliism. Oh, was it radical or awesome? What's he say during when that happens? I oh, gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> gnarly. That's good. That's good. And while that's all happening, all the kids are like tripping out on like this, you know, the heart of this stuff. This comes literally not too far after uh, Stacy has her abortion. Yes. And so they're here in this class scene discussing life. And they also saw babies that were just born and stuff like that. So she's getting yep. hit with this stuff. And you're yep. like, wow, it just isn't, you don't just get an abortion. It's all done. You just keep getting hit with stuff and you don't even know where it's going to come from. I mean, you can yep. only imagine what, you know, as, as a male, it's nearly, it's not even possible to come close to what it's like to go through that. Um, no. But to just start to see just the beginning of what this young lady may have to face. And, yeah. and to go from there um, is pretty intense. Um, but uh, Spicoli's the best during that. He's definitely pretty cool. Well, back to your point with Stacy, though. Mark recognizes that Stacy left the room when it got too intense. And Mark goes and looks after her, which is nice. You know, he's trying. And maybe not try to get back in there, but because he's a good guy. And he also knows, not from her, but he heard it through the grapevine, what happened. And he's still willing to stay in there and go, you know what? I'm still going to try this. That's a yeah. lot. That's a lot for someone to do. Yeah. But I don't think he did it for points, Mike. I think he did it because he's just a genuinely good guy. Yeah, for sure. For you sure. Know? Which is great to see. You you need, you don't need, but you're rooting for those types of people in an ensemble piece like this. Because not all these people have that that moral fiber that Mark Ratner has. Now we're at Spicoli's house and we see him taking a bong hit. And I don't remember seeing a bong hit in a movie before this. You know, I was young, but definitely not a high school movie or a teenage right. movie. 
And then there's a knock on the door, and it's his little brother Curtis because Spicoli or Jeff in this in this household has a visitor. And who is it? Of course, it's Mr. Han. Mr. Han. And this is another one of those great moments, great scenes in the movie. It'll stick with us. And it's the last time we see Mr. Han and Spicoli in the movie together. And uh, it's it's just so memorable. I love this one. Yeah. And as you go through this, uh, you know, he's uh, – Mr. Han's basically telling – tells us that uh, Spicoli's wasted nearly eight hours of Mr. Han's time, and so he's going to get it back so that they can call it an even deal, uh, pretty much. And uh, so Spicoli is held back from going to the last dance, where everybody is, until he can kind of go through the history of things. Yes. And um, in this scene, you kind you begin to see the, the teacher uh, become the student, and the student become the teacher to a certain extent, because... I believe Mr. Hand learns from Spicoli. Uh, yeah, he learns a new things. lingo, but yeah, Spicoli gets what's going on, but he presents it in a very new and fresh way. Right, which brings me back all the way to the opening scene where the first time we see Hand, he says aloha to everybody. And what exactly. is it that he says to – in their final scene when they yeah, say goodbye to each other, basically? Their parting words are aloha. And aloha, Mr. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. So Very it's – uh, But in between that time period, I got to say that I loved the way that Spicoli, his Spicoliism, breaking down things in such a fun and colorful way. But again, on point with his wardrobe, I love Spicoli's Hawaiian shirt with a tie. It just works for him. Only Spicoli could pull that off. And you know, you go, was it the wardrobe designer? Was it the costume designer? Was it the director? Was I think it Sean Penn brought a lot yeah, of this you know what I mean? And how I many different ties could he go through? And what, you know, just to pick the one. He nailed like, it. And then nailed and it. Speaking of wardrobe, I also like Mr. Han's houndstooth jacket. So I got to give him kudos oh, wow. Look at uh, that. on that. So. Uh, a great scene, a very memorable scene, and uh, an end of a, a wonderful relationship with Mr. Hand and and Jeff Spicoli. I love he says he's going to cruise history, and he's you know acts like he's going to have to repeat it, and he's like, I think you'll get by, Spicoli. I, I, I just love it. They have such a fondness for each other, and they started off on the wrong foot, but you can tell that they're they're kind of kindred spirits in a way. Absolutely. And I, like and I, I think this this is where it starts to lean in. We start finding out the, the characters in the beginning, their relationships. We kind of figure out what uh, what has served them throughout this whole journey or what has what they've come to accept and how they get the value in it. Yeah. And at, at this point, we start to see that um, Mr. Han actually feels valued as a teacher. He feels like he's fulfilled a role and a responsibility in at least connecting with with um, Spicoli at, at a particular level. Yeah. So that was, I think his kind of his, his role in the movie was to find some value and acceptance in what he was doing for these kids, even if they're all, all on dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he's a, he's an older teacher in the last, you know, phase of his career. And so he's dealing with the youngest generation he's had to deal with. And he's probably realizing, man, am I losing touch with them? And so it's nice to connect and realize that, hey, we're not so different. And they can kind of speak the same language. 
So yeah, I loved it. I really did. And now we're at the dance and Reeves, Nevo and the Cinch are performing. And a great moment here as we see Damone and Mark do what? Mark basically just tells, uh, tells Damone, look at Damone, dude, that's just who you are. I know how you are. You are this, you are that. And, um, and Damone's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I am. But Damone actually gives a, an honest apology. Like he's absolutely yes, he sorry does. for what he's done. And I don't know, maybe this isn't the right term, but he kind of mans up and says, he absolutely hey. does. So in that moment, you see his growth and you want to believe that, yes, he has actually become a better person at the cost of others. But his growth, he, he's, he's reached a, a milestone in his development. You know, you could tell that the relationship meant more to Damone than maybe we realized. You know, he realized what he did. He was very sincere with his apology. And he knows that what Mark had to say wasn't wrong. What he said, we're all uh, right about his character. But yeah, I, I really liked it. And they buried the hatchet and they were friends. And it meant something to Damone to get that from Mark. And that was nice. That was the redemption that I wanted. Yeah, and Mark's character elevates at that level too, to be able to do that. That's not an easy thing to do as a human. Now Mr. Vargas is introducing his wife, Mrs. Vargas, to some of the students. And she is played by Lana Clarkson, who was a well-known actress in the 80s and 90s, but who was tragically murdered by Phil Spector in 2003. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that necessarily, but now I do know that. But I, I, she seemed uh, recognizable to me, but I didn't know that's who it actually was. But hey, that this is life. This is you know, this is a a lot of people are tied to this uh, movie. Yeah, this is back to your first favorite thing in the movie. Someone comes rolling up late to the party because Piccoli was tied up with Mister Han, but in the parking lot. Your favorite vehicle arrives. Once again, the Volkswagen um, bus comes up, a yellow and orange, and the boys roll out, smoke coming out, of course. As they roll in and they're kind of late, but they're still going to have a good time, there's, there's this body language that Sean Penn does as he's going into the school gymnasium. He's outside. There's some balloons outside that lead into there. And Spicoli, instead of as he's walking in and these balloons are in his way, he doesn't take his hand and move the balloons out of the way. Spicoli just goes into the balloons and drifts off them and goes in because that's just what he does. And I'm like, that's such his character, man. (laughs) Like, why would I move my hands so I could just flow through these things, man? That was great. It's so great. He was so great in this. I mean, really, it's it's worth repeating again and again and again. He really elevates this movie to a whole new level. Yeah. So Linda breaks up with Doug in a letter. And so interesting scene that now here comes the teacher who's always been shepherding Stacy and, and now she's at a real crossroad and she wants to or needs to, or if Doug even exists, or maybe he already dumped her. We don't really know. It's about as vague as it gets. But we do know that she's probably moving on in some way and putting herself out there. And Stacy's kind of like, she's already run the gamut of like, yeah, sleeping around, meeting guys, and, and she's looking for something more. But it's really nice to see like, oh, wow, now I'm looking at you and you're the one kind of falling apart that needs to be held together. 
that scene there, I think just sh- it, that was just like okay, the trajectory of um, of Linda has reached its end, and she has this whole time kind of convinced herself that yeah. she was in a relationship that she wasn't. And then as she's trying to teach, she's actually learning through this whole process. Then the very back of it, Linda does all the talking to Stacy, and Stacy just gives like, right, okay. And she and then Linda comes up with her own answer. <laughs> you know, so she's like, she kind of had her own self-learning process along the way. But Stacy's her rock. She you exactly. know, she didn't get caught up in it. She was unaffected by it. She's more mature. She's grown. Stacy's really grown a lot. So she can be her equal now. So Spicoli's late to the party, but let me tell you this, the party has just begun. He goes right up on stage and helps the band sing Wooly Bully. I love it. Spicoli is the party and brings the dance alive. You know, what was attractive about that scene was just to see the students all dancing in their own particular, peculiar uh, strange, whatever you want to call it, way. Yeah. Because they were just expressing that. And to me, again, I'm always looking for symbolism and that kind of stuff. And maybe it goes a little too deep or not. But they were just being themselves. Mm-hmm. And that to me ultimately is what this movie is about. Just being yourself and discovery and getting over fear. They just went for it. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Just just went for it. That was and good. that's what dancers do. They bring people together. So now we're back at the mall. And Perry's Pizza, to be precise. So Stacy's talking to Linda, and she wants a relationship. She wants romance. She wants something she hasn't had. She's had empty sex. She's had an abortion. She's dealt with immature guys. So she wants something more. And then who does she spot across the mall? You know, Mark has always been across the mall where it's not as happening. And where she's been, it's been happening. But I think you brought up something that I don't want to skip over just too much because this is a really big part. I think this brings it all back together. And it's when Linda says, as you were saying there at the very – in the final scene in the area, she says, Linda, I finally figured it out. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've all been trying to do this whole time is figure it out, all the characters, right? And she did say, as you were saying, I don't want sex. Anybody can have sex. I want a relationship. I want romance, mm-hmm. something meaningful. But at, at, So she's in this mindset of I figured it out. And I thought, wow, I think that uh, Spicoli kind of figured it out too. Because like he said, all I need are, are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So he figured it out. Mr. Hand, Aloha feels his duty has been fulfilled. He figured out Spicoli for the most part. So he feels like he's figured it out. Damone's, you know, accepting who he is and he learns what it's really like to be friendship. So he's kind of figured it out. Brad, of course, you know, we're going to find out soon. He's going to figure it out as mm-hmm. well in a pretty cool scene. And Linda, you know, she she writes this letter yep. and she kind of figures it out as well. Uh, so, he, you know, Mark then steps up now and he's about to figure it out as well. Yep. So Stacy looks across the mall and sees Mark. Waves at him and then waves him over, which sets up a really nice scene between them. So I'll let you take it from here. It it seems to be something that's been repeated over and over and over in the mindset of a guy. A cute girl says a few things, says she's available to a certain extent, and we just buckle. We just buy it doesn't matter. We're like Okay, we're good. And maybe it works the other way around too. 
But Mark right. has come along this path. He's worked hard to stay tuned with her in, in with her, and she's he's kind of trying to play it off like. Yeah. You know, she I'm said, I want your picture. I'm going on a vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, yeah. He's like, I'm going to be kind of busy. And then she's like, well, I want you to hold this picture. And it's a cute picture of her. And he oh, kind of, he's, it, and it's innocent enough too, but he's, he's like, you know, the birdies go around his head or whatever you want to call them. Go, the hearts go around his head and, and butterflies are fluttering. And he's like, his whole course just changes. Yep. Uh, I think that I'm probably going to be able to give you a call. <laughs> yeah. So it's a throwback to like, it's still there for him. He still wants to be around her. And and, and while they're having their exchange, the song So Much in Love, very fitting, by Timothy B. Schmidt is playing. And it really is a perfect song to this scene with these two lovebirds, if you will. And it's very cute. And their relationships come full circle from that first meeting in biology class to everything else to this point where they're really starting their journey together. And the mall is what it's all about. So that's great. They're mall rats, these two. <laughs> oh, my God. There's the phrase, mall rats. Perfect. He, he was the first mall rat. Framed it up. So now Brad is at his new job at the Mighty Mart. And Spicoli comes in. And Mike, he is obviously stoned in this scene. Well, he comes in there, right? He's just trying to pick out nickels from his pocket and lint and stuff like that to pay for some goods. And and then we've got Hamilton there who's like, uh, you know, kind of like, all right, Spicoli, what's your deal? You know, why don't you try and get a job? And that's again where he, you know, the Spicoli, guy. <laughs> yeah, Sp- Spicoli throws out that line that I just um, mentioned about, you know, the cool waves and all that stuff and everything seems to be just fine. And um, in that, you know, Again, Hamilton's the cool dude. He's like, all right, I get it. I get it. And then Spicoli has to use the bathroom and Hamilton's like, well, all right. So he, Spicoli heads to the back. And while that happens, again, the store's empty except for Sean Penn, who's now gone back to the bathroom. But in the meantime, a guy comes in to rob the place. Yeah, and, a car comes pulling up, right? Yeah. And this guy jumps out and runs in. To, Spray paints the, the camera, comes up, pulls a gun out on Hamilton, and Hamilton's like, what? <laughs> yeah, so, that's intense. Yeah, no messing around there. He's like, geez, what am I, what, what next? And um, in the middle of the robbery, as Hamilton's getting built up and worked up because he's the guy's pressuring him with the gun and knocking stuff over, um, Spicoli comes out. And kind of distracts the guy because uh, yeah. he, he says, hey, there's no towels in the bathroom. And the guy looks – the robber looks to the side. And at that point, Hamilton seizes the moment, grabs the hot coffee in the container and just – Smart thinking for Brad. Look at the big brain on Brad. He grabs the hot coffee, throws it on the guy's face. Pretty instinctual. I like that. And uh, then that, the guy's getaway car leaves him, right? <laughs> Whoever's in the yeah. getaway car is out of there. I love what Spicoli says when Hamilton gets the upper hand. All right, Hamilton. Yeah. And, it's just like, and Hamilton and, and Brad's just like kind of doing it. He's just excited and he, you know, he's kind of moving funny, but he doesn't know what to do. He's just elated that, you know, he just and Brad figures his, it out. He took, he's decided to take charge of, of, of a situation. Yeah, he took charge and that leads us to the end. I mean, it ends right there. And then we get, you know, this great Oingo Boingo song, Goodbye, Goodbye, which also literally is telling us it's over. And we get something, Mike, that I don't remember seeing 
before this movie came out either, which were like the character recaps. Oh yeah, those are those are amazing. On. But Brad's comes on first, and he became, you know, the manager six yeah. months later or something. <laughs> yeah. So right, good way to go, Hamilton. All yeah. right, well yeah. done indeed, sir. Damone gets busted scalping tickets, and now it's Seven Eleven. Mister Vargas left Sanka and went back to coffee, and Mark and Stacy are dating, which we kind of figured, but Mike. What have they not done? Well, they haven't gone to the dugout, but that's great. They've showed restraint, and Stacy realizes that sex is not the end-all, be-all that we sometimes believe it is. Mr. Hand is convinced. What, Mike? Well, that everybody's on dope. So good. He's grading papers, and he's just shaking his head like, are you kidding me? All right, Mike, why don't you take the last one? which is Spicoli's send-off. Spicoli um, actually ends up saving Brooke Shields from drowning somewhere, who knows where, and then gets this reward uh, reward money for doing it. And of course, in great Spicoli fashion, he goes and parties with it by doing what? He decides to hire Van Halen to, I believe, play for uh, a party or a birthday party of his. Yep. Uh, and so he ends up blowing all the money, but... Of course he would because he's Spicoli and I bet you he had a killer time. It, true Spicoli fashion. So now as the credits roll, of course, we get a closing up shop montage. And then the last shot of the movie is back to the arcade and we see the end come up, which a lot of movies in the 80s and maybe before that like to put the end in just in case you weren't sure there the movie is finally over. That's it, Mike. What an incredible movie. We covered it extensively. I can't thank you enough for joining me on Let's Talk Movies and exploring Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, you start to realize there's so many moving parts. This isn't an action movie. There's a lot to cover, a lot of emotion, a lot of character growth and arcs and relationships, and just a lot to take in. It's it's so much so, and uh, you know I've never really gone this deep into uh, a movie of sorts, and uh, it's been a, uh, a a very revealing experience to really study something and and see if it really carries weight now as much as we thought it did then. But I think the biggest thing did kind of come up when Stacy made that statement is that you know I I finally figured it out. Yeah. And to think it all started with, I don't know, early in the film, to figure it out, which is great. You want your characters to end up in a better place in certain movies. In this type of movie, yes, you do. And it's wonderful that to see all of them succeed in that way, in their personal growth. And uh, so I have to get into this trivia, which uh, I end every show with, if you will. So, But I took one off the top. When I told you about Cameron Crowe, and I usually have three or more, but I already told you two of them in the midst of the podcast. So trivia consists of just one last thing. Here goes. The MPAA originally granted the movie an X rating due to the lovemaking scene between Stacy and Damone, which featured full frontal male nudity. Heckerling asked the board why they can show naked girls but not naked guys, and they said because the male organ is aggressive. 
And because the picture was the first major studio film in some time to be given an X rating, Universal agreed to edit the scene, allowing the MPAA to reissue the movie as an R. That's crazy, right, Mike? I mean, you do see nudity in this movie. I think Jennifer Jason Lee shows her breast in two scenes, but that is amazing that they had that much of an issue with Damone having any nudity at all. I mean, there's always baby steps, right, to get to something. Right. And and as we know, with any kind of um, restrictions, there's always some sort of excuse that isn't necessarily fair or balanced out. And as we try to move into that, it just takes steps and pressures and moving forward. But I didn't wasn't aware of that. It was a different time, you know, and, and an X rating would have an X rating would have killed this movie. You can't issue an extra. I mean, Midnight Cowboy yeah. did it and somehow it worked and it won Best Picture, but they weren't ne- they didn't need box office to build a winner in those days. I mean, this movie would have been dead out of the gates. And so I remember on that uh, director's commentary, Heckerling spoke to that and just how much of a process that was and she fought the fight and she couldn't believe that they considered the male organ aggressive. But um, they had to change it. It didn't hurt the movie any, but it's just trivia, a little tidbit, a little something, you know. And so that's all I got. Mike, again, I want to thank you for joining me. It's been a true pleasure. Uh, Couldn't have done it without you. And uh, I hope our audience appreciates um, our deep dive into hey, this Hey, thanks class. for having me on board. And um, I would definitely do it again on some other movie if you're willing to have me. Absolutely. So thanks so much for listening. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Let's Talk Movies. Or check out our other shows at JustCuriousMedia.com. So without further ado... Please enjoy Fast Times at Ridgemont High.